Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition, special, 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 special crossover episode of the Cast Beyond the Wall, the House of the Dragons podcast, and the cinematic schematic from the cinematropolis.com. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and to my lords and the ladies of the realm, Cast Beyond the Wall is normally your guide to all things Westerosi. I know, I know, and this seems very far from Westeros. For the cinematic schematic listeners, I know that you're used to hearing us bring you thoughtful conversations on film. But today we're shaking things up by stepping away from both of those things, both dragons and the big screen, and we're going to talk about the fungal post-apocalypse. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we are looking at HBO's The Last of Us. Why? Because I have two different podcasts, neither of them technically fit The Last of Us, but I do what I want. (laughs) And literally everyone's like, are you going to do a Last of Us podcast? And I was like... Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's going to happen. <laughs> he likes chaos. Chaos is a ladder, as uh, Littlefinger once said in Game <laughs> of Thrones. In today's bonus crossover episode, I'll be speaking with a panel of guests to provide our reviews and analysis of The Last of Us Season 1, which for those of you who have been paying attention, uh, have not been paying attention, just wrapped up its first season on Sunday, March 12th went up against the Oscars. We're going to start by sharing a little bit about our experience with zombie fiction, just get a flavor of what does the panel think about zombie stories in general. And then we'll also talk about our experience that each of us have with The Last of Us video games. And then we'll provide our reviews of season one. And finally, we'll be going deeper into some of the series themes before closing out the conversation by speculating in a spoiler-free way about what we think might happen next. Again, just to underscore that disclaimer, We're going to be spoiling everything that happens in season one of HBO's The Last of Us television show. However, we will not be spoiling anything outside of what has aired on HBO, including The Last of Us Part 2, or even some of the comics that are related to the franchise. We're not talking about any of those. This is specifically on season one of the television show. We may talk about some things from The Last of Us Part 1, the original video game, that we're not in the show, but we're not leaving those parameters. So fear not, we're not going to divulge what happens next. Enough for me. Let's hear from today's really exciting panel. I'm so excited. I think this is the biggest panel I've had on either podcast in quite some time. So I'm going to shake things up a little bit today. I'm going to allow each of our panelists to introduce themselves, starting with a man to my left, sir. So my name is Laron Chapman. Um, I do podcasts, screenwriting, filmmaking, and occasional exotic dancing. Just kidding. Mm. Um, and I have I've not played The Last of Us um, video games. All right. Thank you, LeBron. So excited to have you, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Next up. Hi, I am Joe Light. I'm a features editor with Static Media, uh, which is an online media company. They own a lot of websites, including Slashfilm. Uh, I'm also a writer. And I have played The Last of Us Parts 1 and 2 obsessively more than three times uh, each. And, yeah, I'm I'm in love with this universe. Awesome. Next up, sir. Hi, my name's Harold Story. I run Tunes Tunes. Um, that's a podcast and website uh, dedicated to music, anime, animation, cartoons in general. Um, and I have not played the video games. So I'm very excited to talk about the show, though. I really did love this uh, series so far. Excellent. So the keeping score of the listeners, that is two people who have played the games and two people have not. So we have to break the tie one way or another by uh, introducing our last guest, sir. Hi, my name is Daniel Stoll. I am a co-host uh, with Caleb on uh, Cast Beyond the Wall, and I'm not as cool as a lot of these other people. That's my only uh, contribution to the, uh, any sort of film or anything like that. I mean, I guess I have a letterbox account. Maybe that counts for something. But yeah. 
There you go. I have played both of the Last of Us video games. I mean, huge fans. I absolutely love them. So I am very excited to, to talk about the show. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. So for those of you who have never tuned into either show before, so these are two of my podcasts kind of put together. Now, before we get into today's review conversation related to The Last of Us Part 1, I wanted to note that if you're listening to the show and you enjoy the conversation, please support us by subscribing and leaving us a rating and a review on your preferred podcast app. doesn't really matter which feed you're on. If you are listening to the cast Beyond the Wall, if you haven't listened to the Cinematic Schematic, Head over to that feed and subscribe to that as well, because these are two different shows. Cast Beyond the Wall, more about television, cinematic, schematic, more about movies. Regardless, subscribe to each feed and leave us that rating review. So let's get into today's conversation here. And before we really talk about The Last of Us, I think it's only fair that our listeners learn a little bit more about what each of us brings to zombie fiction or zombie stories. There's so much of it. So I'll start with you, Laron. What is your level of interest or expertise in zombie fiction? I like zombies quite a bit. Um, I feel like they've always kind of been a commentary on our fear of disease in our country. And, you know, um, you know, I think that um, that's also the type of zombie, zombie story that's always resonated with me the most, the ones that lean a little bit more towards the realistic, the realism of it. Um with films such as like 28 days and 28 weeks later, those are, those are my favorite kinds of zombies because they kind of imagine a world that doesn't seem that far away from something that can happen in, in our own lives. And so I think the more it leans towards something that I can feel is tangible, like a tangible threat, um, ex tangible existential threat, um, kind of is what, what, what stands out to me the most. So. All right. So tangible threats. Mm -hmm. So I, I like a good zombie comedy too, but um, but for different, um, oh, totally different reasons, though. So, 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 where do you stand in the fast zombies versus slow zombies debate of like twenty years ago? <laughs> See, like if I fast zombies in real life. For my comedy, like lighthearted, I mean, it's funnier to see the slow ones, like your Shaun of the Dead's or something like that, where it's less about the zombies. There's there's a lot more going on. So, okay, all right, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Joe Light. Give us your zombie takes, all of them. Oh boy, uh, I love <laughs> zombie movies. The one of the first screenplays I ever wrote on my own was a zombie comedy. So I love them. I, I agree with Laurent in that they can be used. Well, horror in general obviously can be used as like social commentary and looking at things that are going on in the world. So I love that zombies are an extension of that. Um, yeah. So uh, my recurring nightmares are usually like zombie related. Those are the only nightmares I have that usually scare me the most where I'm like having to strategize and think of how I'm going to get out of someplace so they're very effective as as actual horror too, I think. Um yeah, I I tend to go for I don't know. I love Shaun of the Dead. I love Return of the Living Dead. I think those are two of my favorite horror movies of all time. So I might go more toward comedy, but I don't know. I, I love all zombies. I think it's safe yeah. to say. All zombies. So zombies, fast, slow, any variety you can get. Yeah. I think <laughs> they're all our children. They yes. are any flavor. I mean, there's so many there's so many different ways to utilize zombies to your point. Daniel Stoll, tell us what are your thoughts on zombies? You know, as a self-proclaimed nerd, you would you would think that I would be like super into zombies because I feel like that's like part of nerd culture, but I'm actually pretty like 
mediocre on zombies. I mean, I love like kind of like the said, like 28 days later, but like my favorite zombie movie probably being like Train to Busan. That's a good one. Uh, I really love that one. And even if I played like tons of video games like Left 4 Dead, Back 4 Blood, uh, zombie games that, that I love. And horror being my favorite genre, you would think that I'd be all about zombies, but it's probably as the sub genre for it's probably it's not up there as one of my favorite lists. So I, I come in pretty mediocre on zombies. Like I, if it's done well, I can I can really enjoy it. But I do think sometimes like there there tends to be a lot of there can be a lot of similarities between certain zombie stories like it's very bleak and, and you have to deal with some of the same sort of themes and concepts and it can if not handled well can become it can feel repetitive so that that would be my my take on on zombies so you're kind of like down the middle. You're like, they're all right, but you don't keep up with them uh, as much. Uh, although Train to Bazan, that's a good one that I feel like has only really got started to get its day over the last like two or three years. So great call out there. Harold's story. Tell us about your relationship with the zombies. Yeah, sure. I really just I love horror of any kind. I love that's my favorite type of movie to watch. Um, and I love uh, 28 Days, 28 Weeks Later, two of my favorite in that series, I actually did just rewatch the uh, 2004 Dawn of the Dead. Um, I think that's a very fun movie. It's probably um, Zack Snyder's best movie. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty. And then the ending, you're just like so bummed. You're like, dang it! Like everything went to shit in the end. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just really love. Um, I love the genre. I don't. I don't get like it's not not like my end all be all favorite horror, but um, just for me personally, like I've never been super into like the supernatural type stuff. Like I'll watch those movies and like they're entertaining to me, but the zombie stuff is all always seemed like a semi tangible to me, like a virus breaking out. Like that could probably happen. And maybe it did happen a couple years ago, maybe, but <laughs> we didn't turn into zombies, thankfully, but yeah, but it was, uh, a, it, yeah. was a, it was a very yeah. surreal when the last of us part <laughs> two came out in June of 2020, when you're like, Hey, a game about a zombie. Break, uh, and that's know. like, I know we've talked about it. I don't want to get too far off on that, but I remember getting, uh, lunch with Caleb one day in February of 2020 and being like, wow, this coronavirus thing in Europe is crazy, isn't it? And then, mm-hmm. <laughs> man, we did not know they were about yeah. to come off the top rope for us. Mm. Yeah. But, uh, wild ride. But yeah, man, um, that's, I think that's why I've always liked it. It's just, it's always been, you know, not insanely far fetched, like, um, like a demon or something to me that just me personally, I'm like, eh. But like a zombie thing, I'm like, that could maybe happen. I don't know. Especially this this whole um, – the show is my experience with um, Last of Us and like the way that they approach it. I'm like, wow, like this is actually <laughs> – like is this real? Like could this actually happen? Like so I like that approach and it's very interesting to me. Well, and even though, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic was not – you know, it wasn't a, a quote zombie outbreak. There is a lot of similarities, though, especially early pandemic before we'd kind of figured out how to be safely interact with each other. It's like, right. you, it's like, hey, you're a zombie. If I don't know you, yeah. you're not my butt. I mean, I'm not, for, I'm not trying to, you know, it's not a laughing matter. I just, no, like, you're right. Or in our approach to it, like our right. approach to it, like how we, you know, the fearfulness we stay had away from me initially, mm-hmm. like, hey, okay, so here's someone cough and you're like, oh yeah. no, like you're, mm-hmm. you're afraid you're like of contracting whatever, the, you know, yeah, for real, yeah. Though. Yeah. And, yeah. So, I mean, it, our reaction to it is, is very similar. I mean, if, it, if we're not going into the more like, I mean, we weren't salivating and right. You know. right. Everybody <laughs> but, was washing their groceries in the sink. Yeah, I was Lysol in my cereal. You know, like, so. <laughs> I was using Clorox instead of milk in my cereal. Yeah, right. Right. Why not? It's just like, <laughs> <laughs> Clorox. 
Fox and she had to watch the cereal off. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I mean, it is kind of like some moments in the show where it's like, oh, you're infected or are you infected? You know, right. Do you have that somewhere like you don't know if you can trust someone. Right. It's like, not that I don't want to help or care, but it's just like, you gotta take care of yourself. So you don't, you know, infect the people in your life. Right. Exactly. Just like environments too. Like I lived by a school at the time. And when I would walk my dog and look in the school, I could see like it had just been left. Like, the way that they had left that day. And mm. I could see how easily, you know, just like in the show, like you could see the environments as they were when the outbreak happened. So that was my frame of reference also, just being a fan of the games and and seeing that and then seeing it reflected in real life was very eerie to me. Yeah, definitely. So Harold, I think you're spot on. Again, you're not salving at the mouth and we're not, you know, turning into zombies per se, but it is. there's a lot of similarities in what we experience in the real world that I still think we're unpacking collectively as a society. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but okay. So, I mean, like when it comes to zombies, I, man, I, I loved zombies growing up. And then I, I got to say the, the zong, I would call it the zombie boom of the late 2000s, early 2010s. So you know, you're, you're, I mean, that's when Walking Dead showed up. Um, that's when we got like every video game has some sort of zombie horde mode. Uh, I mean, there was just Left for Dead was one of my favorite games. Uh, I mean, there was there was just zombies you couldn't escape them, <laughs> just like zombies. In pop culture, it was like everyone was trying to do a zombie thing, and it, it definitely burned me out and fatigued me for a while to where I think I was dis, uh, less interested for a while. But I really love how the zombie stories enables us to explore both the fragility of the systems that we have within our society, which is, I mean, again, speaking in 2023, it's a little, hits a little differently even because we've seen how those systems were actually put to the test, you know, with COVID-19. But I also like how you can simultaneously look at the systems and sort of uh, maybe from a more sociological perspective, the impact of zombies would have on the day to day and how people would, you know, sort of like, build their own families or build their own villages. Uh, but I also really like how you're able to simultaneously explore the native, uh, the, the human nature at the root of it. So what does fear do to people? Um, how does, how does the power dynamic, uh, where does power come from when all the systems that have previously existed are shattered? What does that look like? So I think there's, there's a ton of great stories that come from zombie fiction still today. And uh, so I will, I'm happy to say Still love me some zombies after taking a very long break for probably about six or seven years. Uh, Dawn of the Dead, both of them, I think, are excellent. They're two of my favorites. So that's the original George Romero film from the 80s. Um, I think it was a really fascinating look at the uh, kind of consumerism that we saw exploding in the 80s. That's honestly... Rampants can't even, you know, it, it's, it seems funny that we would talk about commercialism or consumerism as a problem today because it's just like <laughs> that's just a part of the world we live in. But in the 80s, that was definitely a big topic I think Romero was interested in. I, I think it's still fascinating. And the remake is doing so in a sexier, more fast-paced kind of way. But I, I actually really like the group dynamic um, in Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. It's got just the right amount of humor. It's got some, like, commentary. The zombies are terrifying in that movie. I think it's got a great cast, um, too. Sarah Pauly. Underrated. Mm-hmm. Sarah Pauly. Sarah Pauly's in there. Vin yeah. Rains. Um, Mackay Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer. Yep, yep. Shout out to Mackay. Mm-hmm. Hey. <laughs> I'm still. I still think one of my favorite bits in all of zombie fiction is when they're 
sniping the celebrity lookalikes from the, the mall. He wasn't I, one of them, Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah, Rosie O'Donnell and Jay Leno. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep, I remember and they're playing those. with the, there was a dude with the gun uh, shop across the, the parking lot with the sign. Yeah. That, that's still one of my favorite moments in all zombie fiction. A couple others I want to shout out. Daniel Trainabasson, I think, is a really great re, uh, recent reimagining. Um, you kind of combined the things I like about movies like Snowpiercer with zombies, um, you know, sort of paralleling like the upper class versus the lower class and how they have to work together to overcome a zombie apocalypse. And then and of course, you have to give a you have to even if you don't love it, you really have to give credit to George Romero's original Night of the Living Dead, oh, gotcha. which popularized zombies. And I think is the reason we can think about zombie fiction through a more critical lens, just the way it kind of portrays race um, in, the, in the zombie apocalypse. So anyway, lots of great zombie movies out there. Uh, but let's turn it to the games. So the Last of Us franchise, Joe, as a person who has played it, you've probably played the games more than anyone at this table. Cause I don't, I, I don't know. I, I am obsessed, so I'm not trying to like win anything, but I, 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 I'm <laughs> but very, no, very obsessed. You know, it's impressive though. Uh, I can only, I can only manage to do part two one and a half times. So I, I, I'd love to get your take here. I mean, what do you think sets the last of us video games apart from some others, especially zombie video games that we've gotten in the past? Oh, I, I mean, I think the most obvious one is just the, thoughtfulness to story um i'm actually watching someone play resident evil 4 the remake that just came out right now and it's great um and it's really fun and i like all those i like all the resident evil games but they're very very spare on like who the person is that you're actually playing as and what what relationships are it's very very sparse so a story like the last of us which starts in that gorgeous cinematic and sets up relationships and stories before you do anything else i think it for me it was the first experience with the game that actually felt like more like a film at the time that was like revolutionary not so much probably anymore but i think that that's what made it game of the year at the time they pushed so much in terms of not to jump too far ahead but like conversations about morality and ethics and and what what that decision means in the context of these different relationships. So yeah, I think that the story is just so thoughtful and so well-developed and the characters are so rich and their relationships are so rich. It's just more involved. I think even though you're being guided down a certain path, like you feel more involved in the story from the very beginning, mm -hmm. I would say. It's definitely like a really deeply intimate connection you have with the characters mm -hmm. um, that we'll get into here in a little bit. Daniel, uh, you've also played the games. What's your take on what sets the Last of Us video games apart? Yeah, I mean, I basically agree with all of that. I think it's very popular in video games right now, I feel like, to have open world sort of uh, story where you you get an impact on the story and like you your decisions in the game like change what happens. And I love games like that, don't get me wrong, but that is not The Last of Us. You are not playing a character that like that you get to kind of create, you're playing Joel, like you and like you get to experience what Joel experiences. And that's just, that's just a little bit different than what a lot of other video games will do. But I think that works in its favor. Um, and I think that, um, you know, that it's such, uh, like you were saying, it's like a, it's almost like you're watching a film and you, there are parts of it that you get to interact with like on a personal level, but it, you're almost just watching a movie is how it feels like. And for me, it's like the relationships of the characters and how deep they are feels way more 
feels way more deep than like your average video game. I you, like Ellie is probably one of my favorite characters, like in all the video games. Um, and she just stands so much higher than like any other character because I feel like I know her character so well. Whereas in other stories, like it is cool as the player when you get to like have an impact on the, uh, you know, on the character or whatever, but, but this is just not that story, but I think that's why, why it stands apart. So I also think one of the things about the video games and, you know, for a lot of video games, violence is very common in in video games. But with with The Last of Us uh, in the video game, I remember feeling uncomfortable, like performing the violence, um, Mm -hmm. which is not true in a lot of video games. A lot of times it's just there are NPCs, you kill them. It's like you, you even it's even like fun to go through and you're supposed to be enjoying the killing of other characters. But it, it didn't feel like that. Um, in the last of us, like you get to know, even though they are NPCs, like you hear characters, like talking about each other, like in the background and you're like, Oh, I just like killed that guy's friend. And like, they're, they're reacting to his death now. And like, there's stuff like that, that I think really make it, uh, feel a lot more impactful than your average, uh, video game. Yeah. I think in contrast to what Joe was saying and resident evil sort of was the biggest uh, zombie franchise before we had the last of us. And, uh, I actually am also playing that resident evil four remake. Uh, nice. right it's now. beautiful. It's so beautiful <laughs> and nostalgic. It just, it was certainly not interested in like diving into the impacts of zombies on society as much as it was really going for the thrills and the intense uh, mm-hmm. fear. I think, you know, not a ton more to add to what you, the two of you have already said. I, I do really like, like that the objective of The Last of Us really is not kill as many zombies as possible. I'm thinking about other popular, um, you know, zombie video games, mostly like uh, Dead Rising, Left 4 Dead, the Call of Duty zombie game. Also, the arcade series House of the Dead that was really popular before we got The Last of Us kind of in that time period in the zeitgeist where it's like, yeah, your goal is just to mow down as many zombies in the most creative ways you can come up with. In this story, you are focused on. Avoid the zombies as much as possible, actually. In fact, if you can avoid an encounter, you should because you need to save the ammo because you might run out of bullets. Clickers are super dangerous. You want to you wanna hide from them. Protect what is yours. Survive. And, and I know it's I know there's like there's a whole genre survivor survival horror. This technically falls in that category was around before The Last of Us. But very few of them, I feel like effectively hit on the survive, protect, um, you know, fall in love with the characters. And the other thing I just want to add one more note on to what both of you have said about the characters and how well written they are and how intimately connected you feel like you get with them. The thing that I think those games do really, really well, we actually can give credit to the studio Naughty Dog. They actually did this very effectively in the Uncharted series, which is it utilizes video games in a way that I don't think even television can do. You learn a lot about these characters when you're playing through the game when you're you're doing like acts you're crawling along a wall and joel will make a joke or ellie cracks a joke or someone will get on a backstory while you're like trying to problem solve or troubleshoot and it's something that's really unique to video games because and again we'll get into it but they do find some really clever ways to integrate that into the television show it's kind of like when you're fixing a car with your dad or or you're doing something with someone else you you and you're just having a conversation while you're doing the thing it kind of develops this really like intimate personable bond that I don't think is possible to get in film or television because it's more of a pa- there's a more passive media where this is more active. Uh, anyway, just to, I, that's one thing I think Naughty Dog as a studio has done extremely well, and it was deployed very very effectively in The Last of Us and The Last of Us Part Two. So Harold and Laurent, though, and Laurent, I'll start with you. What had you heard about the video games? For every one of my friends that has played this games, I, I'm telling you that I think every single one of them has virtually said this was their favorite game, and so it's always been 
something that I've been like, you know, vaguely aware of at least is the popularity of it, at least the phenomenon of it. Um, but I think that um, to kind of Joe's point, you know, and, and yours as well, um, it seems like what separates this game from other games of its kind is that there's kind of a humanity to it. Um, there's a human story being told, you know, and um, and that definitely translates in in the adaptation of the show, which we'll talk about more later. But I think that um, what what I'm aware of with this is that with cinema, you know, when you're watching, you know, something, it's very much like the, it's more of a passive, like soak it up and just kind of let the filmmakers guide you through this process. And with um, with with video games, traditionally, like, you know. It's more of an interactive, a more expansive, complex experience where you have to, you know, your decisions, you know, navigate, you know, what what you're going to see next. And every player is going to have a different experience, slightly different experience with it based on whatever choices they make, you know. In it. But what seems to be different with The Last of Us, as you were saying, is that they, they emphasize these characters in this world and everything initially before so that you are – and you know involved in that process and as you mentioned it's a lot more intimate because you're you're you get to know these characters a lot more um with the more time you're spending with them and then all the choices that you make actually have an effect on you and these like you said these npcs don't because people don't just become things that you you know mull down you know that you would in you know kind of an aimless wandering game so it's definitely someone here cares about story and character so that's 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 a huge plus all right harold uh, yeah, I had um, I knew about it. We have a mutual friend, Jacob Galatia. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a huge gamer, and um, we met. He'd been playing it, and I've never been a huge gamer myself. I, I play some of the classic stuff, but never. Um, I don't have like the newest stuff. Like I'm not like, oh, this game's getting ready. Come on, I gotta get it. Um, uh, but he had mentioned that game, and he was like, I know you're not a big gamer, but like just like the story in this, like if you have like 10 minutes or whatever to watch this. Um, they have like the, the cinematic on YouTube of uh, the first, like a little bit of the first game. And I watched it and I was like, dang, it was like, I really wanted to like, just go buy, buy a PlayStation, buy that game just to play it. Like just from watching that, just cause it was like, it made me very emotional to see uh, what happens with Joel and Sarah, mm-hmm. like in the beginning. And you're like, wow. It, and it's just unlike, I think, you know, you guys have all kind of said it in a way, but it's, I was like, wow, I've never seen like a video game kind of do something like that where it was like such a focus on the story. Yeah. Um, and so I was just that was my experience with it is that just hearing about it and everyone that I knew that, you know, you kind of have your friends that you're like, they don't miss like they know what I like and they suggest something and it's good. And Jacob's kind of like that for me. So I was like, OK, like I, I need to if I ever get a game or whatever, if I ever get a PlayStation, I should, ch- I should check that game out. So when I heard that they were doing a show, I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to watch this, obviously, just from that one little clip that I watched. And then in a lot of ways, I think it was, I, I don't know, I'm interested to talk about that when we start doing our proper discussion, just to, to see the difference between um, our perceptions of like the show and like what they did and didn't include. And I don't know anything. So like everything I'm right. getting is a new same and yeah. so it's just you know i don't have that well they didn't include this one specific part of this one specific mission so this entire episode's garbage like you know there's always people that are like that um one thing i did see just uh, as you know to wrap up kind of that intro to this was a uh, <laughs> someone had put a uh, yeah like it's it's a pretty good adaptation but 
in this part, um, Ellie didn't die 10 times like I did when I was playing. <laughs> so it just wasn't really true to the game. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty hilarious. Yeah, Joel didn't get mutilated by the 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 zombie like yeah. eighteen times in the first ten minutes. So this game, yeah, that, this, that, this, that sniper was way way worse in the show than he was in the game. <laughs> uh, just one quick thing too is just I do like having friends that have played it because then I could talk to. It's like the mm-hmm. conversation is fun. Yeah, because I'm like, oh, this won't, and then they can fill me in on something like maybe that wasn't included or some yeah. cool Easter egg of like yeah. uh, one thing that Jacob told me was like. The guy that played Joel was in in the game, was in the show, and like in the scene, you could see him. I'm like, that's crazy! Like, that's so right. cool. <laughs> it was a really intentional and thoughtful choice by Craig Mazin to push to have uh, and and Neil Druckmann to include all of the main actors and performers from the uh, the first game in this series. It's pretty mm-hmm. neat, yeah. uh, especially that the Ashley uh, Ashley Johnson one was a was a big one. Well, what just on that note of, you know, video game adaptations, it sounds like we all kind of brought varying levels of experience to to this. And, you know, I think, Joe, you and Daniel have hit on this. Like, there's not exactly been a plethora of great video game adaptations. Hollywood has been pushing, especially in the last five to ten years, really hard to try to figure it out. I feel like we're getting pretty close. We'll, we'll dive into that more in a bit. But I, I just curious, like, why is it? that we think that video game adaptions have generally struggled to make the successful transition to film and television. I'll start with you, Lauren. Um, I think, I think because they're, they're, they're two very different mediums, you know, like I think again, but film again, being a, mer- a much more passive, you know, just soak it up and watch it. And then this, this being like, you have to, you have to make the choices and decisions and the POV that you have is going to be different, you know, than the one that's being, given to you, you know, when you watch a film. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me with everything that I've seen, because um, it's probably a, a nuance is a good thing. Like that's something that lends itself to the more, you know, the more cinematic. Um, whereas a game can be flamboyant, can be, you know, um, flashy, you know, and um, and maybe not as maybe not as cohesive if it doesn't have to be. Um, whereas a film, it's, a, you know, when you're just sitting there watching it, you know, you can you can pick things apart a lot easier than when you're playing around with it. Because um, you can kind of figure things out with a game. You know what I mean? You just go here until until it advances to the next phase, you know, whereas with the show, you're just like, this isn't clicking for me. This isn't working for me. Um, so I think, yeah, I would say nuanced characterization, you know, like if you're not really invested in the character that you're playing, you know, or the characters you're seeing, you know, then that that there can be a disconnect there. So I think probably translating these two different mediums is hard because everyone kind of has a different relationship with that game. You know what I mean? Then maybe like a source show with a book, you know what I mean? Like some things are a little bit more cut and dry there where with the game, it's a little bit again, more interactive and people come at it from different avenues. So mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, especially with like the open world, Type yeah, of video games where you can literally do choose your own thing. adventure type of things. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about the quarry not too long ago. Like that's an example where it's like, yeah, you could have fourteen different endings depending on which decision you make. You know, so um, and in some ways, that's kind of like what that translation is probably the conflict of that. Um, I could see that being an issue and adapting this body of work to make it a more leisure you know, experience to just kind of watch and enjoy. But mm-hmm. Joe, you play a lot of games and you also 
Well, you play enough. You, <laughs> some. You, some games, but you've, you've played a lot of games, and you, you know, you, you, you're doing a lot of writing about film and television, like all the time. Like from your perspective, what do you think's been the, the the real core challenge there? Is it sort of the interactivity? Has it been that video game writing is just generally not very good? Has it just been Hollywood yeah. not understanding? Like, what is it? What are your take? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot of what Laurent was saying. Um, Craig Mazin didn't write all the adaptations in the world, so that's probably a big uh, <laughs> point against all of them because he's just a genius. He's one of my favorite writers of all time. Um, yeah, games are so, like, mission-based. They're very episodic. They're fun, but they, I think someone else said repetitive uh, sometimes. So if you're just doing, like, all right, run into this spot and kill those enemies and then run to another spot and kill those enemies and do this. And sometimes it's connected and sometimes it's not. Sometimes you get character work, sometimes you don't. Um, it just, it doesn't, if you don't have someone doing the work like Craig Mazin with characters and making sure that everyone's in really specific conflict and has backstories and we can understand everyone to some degree, it's just not going to work, I don't think. I thought about this question for a long time, actually, just thinking of like, bad bad adaptations and there are plenty like so many uh, t- tomb raider i they, i think that they just <laughs> yeah they they focus so much on like I, I don't know it's just they're not thoughtful they there's plenty of i think material there in a lot of games to maybe do something with it but if you don't go beyond like that's a hot girl in a tank top and shorts like there's not there's not going to be really anything for an audience to enjoy so yeah, I, I just I, I if you don't start with a game that has that foundation, it's not going to come over into anything. Mm-hmm. When I think the thing about Craig Mazin that's really important too is he's actually played the game and I think has a certain mm-hmm. level of respect for the material, but also mm-hmm. has the instincts to know when to push it or when to tweak it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, versus it's it seems to me like a lot of times when they are making a video game adaptation either a it's totally driven by studio and they just don't care they're like popular ip put it out mm-hmm. and the director's like i played that that mario game when i was like five it's great and then they don't really take the time to really sit and consider okay but like what does that look like in a story mm-hmm. um you know i think you need a good balance of hey hey this is great service material but you also have a showrunner who knows how to he knows how to separate what works about the story from what works about the game and how can we make those dots connect yeah. when we're actually, you know, mapping the plot and mapping yeah. the characters. Well, um, even what you said about that sniper in the game, I don't even remember what the sniper in the game looks like or he's just like some guy. But then in the show, it's this very old man mm-hmm. and you could see like the conflict in both of the characters in that scene where Joel is like, don't do it. I'm going to have to kill you. Like, that's such an amazing moment. That I think is totally Craig Mazin. Like, I think that's all him bringing that to that scene. And it's just, it's less than a minute and it's just so powerful. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that we'll get into it, but the entire, in the, in the show, it's Kansas City and the video games, it's Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I remember, and I, having just played part one over the fall when it got re- uh, the released on PlayStation 5, I remember thinking, they don't ever really explain why these people were just like dead set on capturing you other than that. Obviously, they're just I think they're looking for food. You know, Mm -hmm. the show does a really good job at reframing it and drives. Oh, there's personal, very people who are personally invested in trying to capture, you know, Ellie and Joel in that scenario. Mm -hmm. Um, So, again, just kind of like stepping back and saying, okay, what's missing? 
How can we refigure that? That's a that's a good point, Harold. Um, I mean, you you have any thoughts on adapting you know video games to uh, television or film? Uh, sh- yeah, I mean, it's similar to you know someone that as someone that talks to people about anime a lot. That's the that is a big talking point too. Um, adapting animated shows, adapting animated movies, Cowboy Bebop being one of the big ones. Um, recently, that was pretty dunked on. But um, it was very bad. You know, I think and I love so many people that were involved in that yeah. show too. By the way, so it's funny because like on paper you're like this is going to be a knockout, and then it doesn't quite land, and you can't figure out why. And I do think a lot of it is that to everyone, it's a little bit different. Like the idea of staying true to the source material, it's different to everybody. I feel like, yeah, um, because you know, even if. And it's the subjectivity of it, I think, is what makes it so such a hard target to hit is that, um, you know, in these shows, like, say they had done this show and it was frame for frame from the from the video game. Well, there's still be people that are like, well, they didn't even do anything different. It was just a video game. Yeah. But, you know, and then they leave out a moment. And like we we're talking about earlier, people are like, well, you know, it would have been great. But they left out this one little part and that would have made it way better. And it's like. Man, like you can't. <laughs> what is faithfulness? Yeah, it's, it's work, like what you know. it, it, it can't be expected to include. Joel didn't wear that jacket detail. in that one scene. Yeah, I yeah you know what I mean. Like <laughs> adaptation. And I understand he like uh, there's something with him playing the guitar at some point, and I think he talks about that in the show, but never does it. So that was another thing that I think people mentioned too. So there's just like all these little things. I think, and I don't think it's just video games. You know, Lauren, you mentioned uh, books. Books are a huge one where people are like. Oh, the book was way better than the movie. Like you, you hear that all the because time. You, you don't even a, think about it because you have this long exactly relationship with a book. That's like you know what I mean. Like you, you, you live mm-hmm. in a chapter for a long time. Where in a scene is like a scene can be two minutes. So know? much of the visual so. is it takes away from what is um, laid out in the yeah. copy. Yeah. So it is going to be different in a lot of ways. But I think you know, I like Joe said, I was thinking about this a lot too. It was like, why is this? And I think that is probably. A big part of it, staying true to the source material is different for everybody. Like mm-hmm. what, you know, doing that well, what doing that is well. And you need someone who has, I again, I think Joe hit the nail on the head. It's having a showrunner like Craig Mazin, who, I mean, again, it's never going to be perfect. You're never going to please everyone. But I think his storytelling instincts is when they're kind of, whenever you're kind of like mm-hmm. deconstructing the story of the video game, having the instincts to know what, what are the stuff, what's the stuff that you, you leave in. Yeah. Or the, you bring in, and what's the new like? What's the new angle, right? And yeah. being a fan of it too, like right. he, like if he wasn't, a, like if you had someone adapt it that say didn't play the game or didn't, you know what I mean, or didn't have any um, passion behind it, you know that could also like I mean, because someone can do like a very clinical adaptation of it, but then it wouldn't have that the same kind of you know emotional impact that I think that it's had on a lot of people too. So one thing I wanted to mention, sorry, Lauren, that was oh, yeah. uh, just a that I meant to mention when I was talking about something being faithful and it really touches on what you said. Um, Henry Cavill at the Witcher, he was a huge fan mm-hmm. of the Witcher. Right. Yeah. Uh, he read the books even. Um, and you know, that, that show was pretty well received. People liked that show in general. Specifically his portrayal of uh yeah. Geralt. Yeah. So it's nice to have a buff nerd out here doing, Absolutely. <laughs> doing cool stuff for now. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, final yeah. season. While of the we Witcher can. On yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> well. yeah I, I mean, I think it's one of those things where it's just, it, it's really hard to, to pick like which hills to die on, you know, uh, Daniel, do you have any thoughts on what, uh, what, what makes a, a good adaptation for video games? 
Yeah, I mean, I think video games to television. Sorry. No, uh, yeah, I think I think everybody has really uh, done a good job of covering it. I think you know, video games, and, and even like we were talking about with books, like it, it, it's such a personal experience that you have with with it like even when you're playing right like i don't i don't say like i'm like i have a friend that i'm talking about like yeah and then joel went and did this i say like no i went and did that like there's like just this this personal connection you have that if the person adapting it like you guys are saying doesn't understand that like it it just it doesn't land in the same way and it's it's hard to adapt to adapt that especially if the if the game itself is not like pretty heavily narrative based already to begin with. I think like you were saying, Caleb, I think you have to have the right person who is really passionate and really understands the the characters or the story of what you're adapting to, to be able to do it justice. And that just doesn't, you know, especially when it comes to games, like games can get uh, a bad, you know, rap sometimes like either like, I remember like even at like, um, I happen to work at a, a high school. Like there's even some people in my high school, this is a, Sorry for this tangent, but like we'll say things like the video game violence is causing like bad things to ha- like causing people to do violence, right? Like there is this like narrative that like video games aren't able to have sort of an elevated story. So when people come to adapt it, they don't understand. Some people don't have that level of understanding that there is something really beautiful here. When I would say Hollywood, just in general, has we're not. This is a separate podcast. So I want to keep us moving, but I will say there is. <laughs> a really weird relationship between Hollywood and the video game industry in that Hollywood until semi recently has the general consensus that when you hear filmmakers talking about video game adaptations, I would say up until like maybe five years ago has generally been like, yeah, the video game story is, you know, pretty simple, pretty basic or not great. And we're trying to make it better. Video games have historically, and you can see this at things like even like the video game awards, which I'm a big fan of, there's this constant sense of video games feeling like they're they need to prove that they're ready for the grown-ups table, even though I think they long ago proved that they're more than worthy to be at the air quotes grown-ups table for storytelling. So there's this really weird thing where Hollywood has historically, from from my perspective, looked down upon video games as viable stories and video games being like, no, no, no. We can be mature grown-up stories too, right? And, and it's it's like honestly up until pretty recently. On that note, though, I, I just want to you know give a quick shout out and give you guys a chance to throw out a few names if you want. But uh, Harold, you already said The Witcher. I think there have been some really good adaptations out there. Um, not technically a video game, but basically a video game. And there's a video game of it. Scott Pilgrim versus the World in 2010 is it captures a lot of uh, about what makes a video game a video game in the form of film. I think Arcane on Netflix is an outstanding series and I don't even play League of Legends and I thought that was just an incredible story with some of the most innovative uh, animation I've seen in my life. <laughs> uh Silent Hill from 2006, not an all-around great movie but man it nails That's atmosphere. Some good moments. It's the atmosphere, the, yeah. the atmosphere yes. it nails it even yeah. if the script's a little wonky. Um the recent Castlevania anime on Netflix is really strong. Detective Pikachu, I also think, is solid. It, it's like kind of identifying the things that people really go to Pokemon for, which is the really uh, weird kind of world and that kind of intimate connection with the creatures and seeing the Pokemon be silly. It, it, you know, These are stories that I think are doing a good job identifying what draws people to those games and finding really unique ways to put them on the, on the screen. Also, I'm not going to die on this hill, but I have to say I will argue in favor of 2005's masterpiece, Doom, Starring the rock. <laughs> I was Arvin. literally thinking that. That's funny. That whole end sequence is first person. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, that movie is hokey. It's terrible. I just, it's, but it's got, it's got two <laughs> actors I really like who clearly know what kind of movie they're in in a movie that's trying, it's very silly. 
it's not good, but I love it. I so. actually forgot that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Your brain will block out trauma for you. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> okay, so really quickly here, because I, I, I want to make sure we shift to the, the review really quick, though. But, Daniel, I'll start for you. What, what excited you most about this specific adaptation for HBO? I think for me, um, I sort of... Uh, said this, I think, but it, it's probably one of my favorite stories in video games that I've ever played. I, it's just such a such an experience playing it, and I will I, I will just love it forever. So I was excited to see that you know, something that I love so much get be brought to maybe maybe some people will get to experience this that wouldn't have ever experienced it because they don't play video games or for whatever reason. So the fact that other people get to experience what I believe is like one of the most beautiful stories I've ever you know, participated in, I was excited that other people are going to get to see this who wouldn't normally get to see it. So that's what I was excited for. I I honestly was at first, I was a little concerned because like I said, like Ellie is like one of my favorite characters. Um, And so I was like, I like, it's like one of those things kind of like what Harold was saying a second, like they better not mess up my, my, like the characters. Right. Like, but as soon as I heard that Neil Druckmann was going to be involved and Craig Mazin, I was like, okay. And it's HBO and HBO generally has a pretty good track record. I was like, okay, like, most of my concerns went away. Like I was like pretty optimistic with maybe a little bit of caution. Like, are they going to really sell these characters that I love? And like, they did a wonderful job. So, um, but yeah, going in, I, most of my concerns were kind of squelched by hearing who was running it and then H- it was coming on in HBO. So, yeah. Again, for listeners who are not familiar with Craig Mays and we've been seeing his praises, uh, he's done a lot of things. Most, I think the thing that really pivoted him into the spotlight as a critical success was uh, the HBO miniseries Chernobyl that came out in 2019. It's so good. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> Stressful. It's funny for it to be a historical thing and you know what's going to happen and you still have this sense of dread the entire time. That's why it's so so good. So good. And the way it felt so, yes, this is a historical drama about bad things that happen, but when it came out, you're like, this is so relevant to the time 2019. Like, this is such a a story that we need to hear right now. You know, good stuff. Joe, how about you? What would you say, what were you most excited to see and and maybe what was your biggest concern? Um, I don't think I had any concerns similar to what you were saying. Just as soon as I heard that both Craig Mazin and Neil Druckmann were involved, I, I, I knew that it was going to be good. Basically, uh, most excited about, I don't know. It's just, it's been my favorite game since it came out. So I I think it's, I'm just going to echo a lot of what you said, which is just seeing it again, seeing it realized in, in even a more cinematic way, seeing it with these actors having more people come on and be excited about it. TikTok has been great as the show is coming <laughs> off. So many edits, so many Pedro Pascal new fans. <laughs> as we all know, he's everywhere. Uh, yeah, it's just been really fun. So I've just really enjoyed that. I know we can't talk about it, but I'll just say, like, I think I'm a little, not, like, worried, but I'm very curious to see how they're going to do game two. It's I think it's going to be more challenging. It's not so much one-to-one. So I, again, I don't necessarily have so much concerns as just like curiosity. What's what's gonna happen? <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think I think that's kind of where I'm at with part two adaptation as well. I'm like, I'm not worried because you guys have proven that you know how to what you're doing, and yeah, you've got all the right. As you have said, I was excited because you're like, I don't think I was like, I don't think this needs to be adapted to TV. But wait, oh, oh, wait, wait, Craig Mason's on board. And okay. HB, yeah. Like you guys, not the people you said, but the, that was when I was like, all right, I trust them. I will say my biggest, I had two different concerns. Number one was, uh, potentially they would over gamify it. 
in some ways, like try to make it too hokey. Like, I wasn't overly worried about that, but that's always just anytime we get a video game adaptation, I'm always like worried that they're going to try to do like gimmicks like that. Like, I mean, kind of similar <laughs> yeah. to the first person perspective thing. Yeah. We're like, let's, and they have, they have little nods to it, but, but they're in on the Nothing joke. Over, yeah. So yeah. I also was a little worried. They might try to soften the blow of the twists or the violence, specifically what we saw in the last episode. Cause I I'm sitting here. I was like, Especially the more audiences were like, this show is so good. I was like, oh, man, I cannot wait to see what you think of the last episode. Because <laughs> you're either going to hate it or, yeah. So I was a little, not like, I would say that was a, a kind of like, again, minor, given that we had, especially Druckmann, uh, just as much as Maze. And I was like, he's, this is his baby. He's not going to let them tamper with it, air quotes, too much. And I guess this is not more of an aside, less of a concern. To see Pedro Pascal um, in the role of, of Joel, such a great casting choice, but also it's just really hard whenever you have the version from the games that I think was so freaking good. Mm-hmm. It's not like it was an okay performance that you have Pedro Pascal and like one up. It's like, no, no, I really truly think that Troy Baker is the character in the game. Like his, it was such a definitive thing. He inv- helped build the character. I was worried. I was like, I don't want Pedro Pascal to replace that in my mind. And also, I don't know how he could because there's just nothing he could bring to it that would be better. It's just different, mm-hmm. which is what we got. All right. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, we've talked a lot about what we bring to the table. Let's get into our review of The Last of Us Season 1. If you don't think there's hope for the world, why bother going on? You haven't seen the world, so you don't know. Keep going for family. I'm not family. No. Your cargo. Why are you so important? Somewhere out west. They're working on a cure. I think what really impressed them was the fact that I didn't turn into a monster. If she so much as twitches. <laughs> don't. <clears throat> Taking you with me. You do what I say when I say it. You got any advice on the best way west? Yeah, go east. So according to IMDb, The Last of Us is described as after a global pandemic destroys civilization, a hardened survivor takes charge of a 14-year-old girl who may be humanity's last hope. So uh, we've already noted here. Craig Mazin, uh, showrunner from Chernobyl. Neil Druckmann actually worked, uh, was a co-creator of the original game. Uh, This television series is the first from Sony's recently formed entertainment division, PlayStation Productions. So whether we like video game adaptations or not, they are coming in (laughs) and coming in fast because we have Twisted Metal that's set to debut on Peacock later this year. Uh, We also have from all from PlayStation Studios, a God of War adaptation is set for Amazon Prime. And then the Horizon series is set for a contract. It's contracted over at Netflix. Um, so yeah, so many more to go. There's also several film adaptations coming down the pipeline from PlayStation Productions, a Gran Turismo movie, Days Gone movie, Ghosts of Tsushima movie from the director of John Wick. That one's the one I'm really curious wow. about. We've already noted here. So the key talent behind the video game, Troy Baker played Joel. Um, you have Jeffrey Pierce who played Tommy, uh, his brother in the video games. And then Ashley Johnson who plays Ellie. All three of them did make appearances in the show. It goes without saying the show is a hit, but I wanted to provide a little bit of a breakdown here. I was also curious to see how big this show was going to be. Mm. 
because I was like, well, the, the game fans are going to show up. Is there still an appetite for popular zombie fiction, like thinking about The the Walking Dead and how that was winding down? Well, the first episode debuted with 4.7 million viewers across all platforms on its first evening. And by the end of the season, the finale had increased to 8.2 million viewers, which is a 75% increase in the evening, uh, in its first evening. And that was going up against the Academy Awards the same night. So uh, needless to say, this show is a raging success. Most shows, you get a big opening and you slowly kind of whittle down to your core audience, whereas this is really fun to watch the ratings come in every week. As a season of TV, what did you think of The Last of Us? Harold's story, I'm going to start with you. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I like I was saying, I didn't play the game, so I kind of had, I almost feel like it's a luxury of going in with no expectation. Um, the only thing I'd seen was like that first intro um, and um, like the cinematic. And so I was just basically, and that doesn't even really get into the proper story. So just knowing that it was going to kind of be this like emotional pull thing, um, I just kind of went in it to every episode like, man, I don't know what is going to happen next. Like, this is crazy. And so, um, you know, it just kept me going. And, you know, we got episodes of this like um, episode um, – with uh, Nick Offerman um, that was just like completely at left field for me personally. I'm like, what in the world? Which I understand that doesn't really follow the game extremely close. At all. Um, but probably one of my favorite episodes of a show I've seen in like probably the last few years, just in general of like the storytelling uh, and what it made me feel. Um, that's always kind of the thing that makes me decide like how I – you know, what I think about something. It's like, did that really like hit me in the feels? And that one was just like, wow, this is very good. Um, but yeah, all in all, I was very, uh, very impressed. Um, I was entertained the entire time. Um, there's something that I liked in every single episode. Um, something that I remember in every single episode. And then, um, you know, I didn't play the game. Obviously I keep saying, but that last episode I was shook for sure. I was like, wow. <laughs> Let me ask you, was that a, pl- a, a plus or a detractor? The no, it was like a whoa. Like I did not expect them to do. I don't know how much we want to get into it too much already. But when he shoots Marlene, I was like, holy shit. Like this is crazy. Um, just because like, I knew, you know, they have history and everything from, um, you know, how they interact and like how they talk to each other and like the whole undertaking of the task of taking Ellie and everything. Um. But yeah, I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like, where are they going to go after this? This is so nuts. Um, So yeah, it was like, definitely I'm on the hook for next season. I'm like, it can't get here fast enough for me to see what happens next. Man, I hate to tell you, it's probably going to be a couple of years. But (laughs) such a long way, but. The worst. It's one thing about invested in these things. For sure. Yeah. That's why I was like, dang, I should have waited. But it's going to be so good when it shows up. Yeah. But I I really enjoyed it. Um, I'll probably rewatch it with. Uh, my wife's pretty fickle about things, like um, so. Usually, I like watch it, and I don't, I don't mind rewatching stuff. And so she's kind of she doesn't like horror a lot. And to me, I'm like, this is actually something that someone that is not too into horror could watch and like really um, have a good time with. Yeah. Um. So I think I'm gonna rewatch it with her soon. It's a great character drama. That's it is. The thing. Yeah. It just so happens to be set in a post zombie apocalypse world. You know, in a weird way, it kind of appeals to both. Of those, it does, group, yeah. of those groups you know so it's funny like the way i feel sometimes is like when they would show up i'd be like oh yeah there's zombies in this <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it's like i'm more concerned with like what the people are doing and like the story of the people versus like oh yeah there's also 
these insane, gigantic zombies coming out of the ground or whatever that guy was mm-hmm. um, in the uh, sniper episode. But oh man, that sniper episode it was, was nuts. wild. I, I remember. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into it. Joe Light, what did you think of the first season of The Last of Us? One of the best experiences watching TV ever, I would say. Um, cried so much, like until I was dehydrated on multiple episodes. Um, yeah, it was great. Uh, I early in the year I was set to interview John Pano, who's the production designer. Um, so I got actually the first four episodes early. Nice. Yeah, and so I had seen episode three that Nick Offerman episode mm-hmm. like way before a lot of other people, and keeping that inside was. <laughs> <laughs> so hard. Like, was, I can't wait for other people to watch this. I know. It's like, this is the great, what exactly what you said. Like, this is potentially like the best episode of TV that any of us are, are going to see like in, in years. Yeah. Potentially ever. Cause it's just so beautiful. So yeah. Um, very, very, it's going to be very close to my heart. The experience of watching the show and just, and I think that it, no notes. It's just perfect. I, mm-hmm. I loved it. Um, I don't really have any. Nice. I'm not going to be nitpicky. I just, I just loved it so much. I love to hear that. Oh man, episode three. I know we're probably going to talk about that uh, <laughs> quite a bit on this episode, but I just have to say that seriously might be the best love story I've ever seen on television, and that's like going up against the constant on Lost, which I swore was like the I bar. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know, man. This this one's pretty good. It's <laughs> like, so good. I, I, uh, I, yeah, we, we, me, I watched that with my fiance on the couch, and it was like at least twice we were both getting real weepy eyed, especially the scene with the strawberries, uh, really uh, underscored. The whole reason man, that know. you need, you know, it's like why they needed each other. So you know? many lines. Oh my gosh. So many lines. Oh, yeah, that's good stuff. <sighs> yeah. But Laurent Chapman, what did you think of last The Last of Us season one? You know, I, I went into this with a lot of anticipation, which also made me a little nervous because I'm like, you know, they've set a bar here. Everyone's telling me this is great. And now the, the film critic in me is like ready to like say <laughs> you were wrong. Right. <laughs> it's like, but I did. I just I was so taken by it. You know, the characters are so well drawn. The stakes are very well laid out. Um, and I think that um, the setting is very like richly realized you know and so um it's and it's great to hear that some of the things that weren't in the game and the things that were modified or changed obviously things that me and you and i wouldn't have known um still had impacted each side the same way you know because i will say equally as we we talk about our favorite episodes later that yeah the the three came out of nowhere and it does it just kind of you know hits you right in the heart um and it just you know things like that that's kind of just surprised you like you're not expecting from a show like this to to have this this groundswell of emotion you know um come out of it you know especially when you're talking again about a zombie zombie fiction game video game you know you put that string of word adjectives together in a sentence <laughs> and you're like i'm gonna cry at this show and i yeah. did several times you know so um, no, I do. I think it was a really, really strong um, season, and I'm very excited to see what comes next. All right. Daniel Stoll, what was your take here? I mean, yeah, I I loved it. I think 
you know, I, I'm trying to not think about it as an adaption, but just as a, as TV on its own merits. But I think what it did so well is it created like such deep and rich characters in such a short amount of time. Like we talk, we keep talking about like the Frank and, and Bill episode, and it's like oh, they were only in one episode. Like you know what I mean? But it had left such a lasting impact. I think about like Henry and Sam from the fifth episode. Like mm-hmm. really, they're only in one episode, but it's like such a deep like impact that that episode left on me. And I think that like the way that the show did that was just so masterful and the, getting us to care so much about these characters w- with, you know, in, a, in an efficient, very efficient way. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I absolutely loved it. I think that it, for me, I was also glad to see, uh, 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 glad to see that like kind of what I talked about, what I enjoyed about the game so much was there that this idea that like all the violence in that felt really uncomfortable, like even your protagonist performing violence, it's like, like this like you feel how devastating the fact that this violence is occurring is to the characters and so i think you just like yeah i think that's that's those are it's what it did so well so i mean kind of like what what joe said like i'm not going to nitpick this like it was just it was so incredible and a, a great experience i think that you know when comparing it to like other prestige it's like probably gonna it, it you know i don't want to like jump ahead and and have like this emotional reaction uh so early, but it's probably going to be one of my favorite shows of all time. Like that's how it feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I, I think the show's outstanding. I think it's a triumph of uh, video game adaptation. I think it's a triumph of uh, zombie fiction, frankly. Like I, I seriously thought I was, I thought the walking dead had killed any interest I would have in <laughs> zombie TV. No offense. If people out there like that show, I'm not trying to knock it. I just, a lot of things, I just got tired, I think, yeah. was my thing. And, I mean, gosh, I think it went like 15 seasons. Again, not knocking anyone out there who loves The Walking Dead. <laughs> I, there's a lot of things to like about it. Uh, Joe's looking at me. like I agree. <laughs> I I haven't. I've tried to start it so many times. I, and I same. can't. Yeah. I can't get into it. I went, same. I, there was like three seasons where I just convinced myself. I'm like, it'll get better. Because <laughs> I had a wow. thing where I would go over and watch. If that was a show. That I had a friend, uh, like a group, we'd watch it every Sunday night, and I started doing that in college and stuck around for years. And then, but the last like three years, I was like, I just found myself just wanting to talk to them or watch something else the entire time. I was like, I just, I was like, haven't we seen this plot play out like four other times? Anyway, it's kind of like the Grey's Anatomy of the yes, genre. Yeah. It just went on for too long, and at some point, it's like you can't distinguish when it. Like, when did my interest leave? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and it's gone on for so long at this point. It's like. There's, it's not saying anything new. I'm not trying to knock that. All I'm saying is I really thought I was done with zombie TV after that, after trying, after like sticking that out for so long. And I really think The Last of Us is exceptional because it does pay so, such close attention to the, the characters as everyone around the table has already said. And again, very clear goals, very clear beginning, middle and end, very clear themes it wants to bring to the surface um, and does so in really, really, really smart and emotional ways. And, you know, I just think that it is up there with with the Game of Thrones and the successions uh, to some of my favorite shows. But it's kind of on its own little lane. You know, it's it's doing its own thing in a way that I've never seen done in a zombie in zombie fiction today on the level and of the caliber you'd see from other prestige HBO dramas. So it's top notch. I do think I think. The last there was a couple episodes I liked more. There were certainly episodes I liked more than others, but I'm not going to sit here and say there was not there was no bad episode. There was no even mediocre episodes. There's just 
certain episodes I liked a lot more than others. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think the the missteps this series has are very, very minor versus the things it did right. So I, I think this is an overwhelming success creatively. Um, now, when we compare this to other post-apocalyptic zombie stories, I've already laid out my hand here, the fatigue. But I think another thing that's important to remember about the game is the game can't, comes out in 2013. Zombie fiction up until that point has been, yes, The Walking Dead's a big one, but video games, Resident Evil, um, you have uh, Dawn of the Dead, um, The 28 Days, all those movies that we all said we liked earlier, those were all out and around. What does The Last of Us do successfully to set itself apart from those stories? Does it do anything super new or interesting? I mean, I know for me... I just kind of laid out there my favorite parts. I also was thinking, I was like, there hasn't really been a good zombie road show really that I could think of that came to mind where you're like going on a destination, right? Laurent, what do you think? What do you think sets this apart from other zombie stories? It just kind of strips away the flashiness and the artifice that, that might exist, you know, with, with that medium in general, but I'm speaking of, of, of video games. Um, and I feel like what it does is it again it takes an emphasis on on these characters and makes it again it, it seems like this is actually like the perfect video game to adapt it's all for you know for this type of medium um, and maybe the problem is is so many like you said so many prior to this didn't lend themselves to cinematic you know they had to fill in too many holes there's too much of a scatter scattered around plot to kind of stitch together to make cohesive and impactful and, 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 and well-drawn. And I think with this, because these characters are so dynamic, they are so dimensional in this world and this universe and the conflicts that are in the story um, are universal and can, you know, doesn't necessarily have to be zombies, but it just happens to be in this case um, that this particular, you know, game lent itself to, to being a really well, well drawn episodic show. And I think that, um, that we just we just we're just lucky in that way, um, because this is something that I think um, that I'm a passive you know gamer. I don't really I don't do a whole lot with it, um, and I didn't need to to enjoy this show, you know, because I think that that foundation was set up very clearly um, in the game and and in the end in the show. So, do you think it like how do you like so so. As a video game, you know, there's a lot of differences you just laid out. But what about when you're comparing it to, say, Dawn of the Dead or 28 Days Later? Oh, or, like, what do you think yeah. it does differently to kind of separate it from that ground that we've already covered? Um, I think it, it it's emphasis on on humanity. It's emphasis on those universal truths that we all share. Um, because it doesn't have to be – the zombies are there, but the story – isn't really about them. They're a conflict in the peripherals, but they're not the conflict of the story. You know, there are internal conflicts that these characters are going through. Uh, you know, Joel's dealing with grief. He's dealing with loss, you know? So, um, so there's, a, there's those things that we can relate to as human beings that it's kind of infused in this and it's in, is in the forefront of the storytelling that I think keeps it grounded. Um, even when we get into the more supernatural elements of the story, we're, we're able to receive those things a little bit better. And, um, we don't have to suspend belief so much because we're invested emotionally in the story and the characters. So, mm. 
Harold, what do you, I mean, what do you think? I mean, when you compare this up against other zombie fiction you've seen, uh, it could even be, I mean, there's a lot of zombie anime out there too, yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Well, candidly, I think it's just, you know, someone else asked me this and it was like, the only thing I could think is like, I really just did not give a shit about those people in that, in that other stuff. These <laughs> characters are like, wow, like for me, whenever I, you know, watch something like this and whenever something hits me, it's, it's at an emotional level and I like. I can't help but see myself in characters or like see things that I like about myself or that I don't like about myself or, you know, situations where I've been in a situ like a, a similar um, place where I've had to make a decision that was difficult. Um, and you're like, wow, like this is really there. This is how human beings act. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've, I've said on before we did a last, I think the last time I was on was the everything everywhere all at once. Mm -hmm. I've said before, like I'm a huge A24 guy and um, I think it is, I'm, I, I don't want to speak out of my ass now that I said that, but <laughs> um, it comes at night. Mm -hmm. yep. That reminds me, it reminds me so much of this because it's, you know, there's this thing that happened, this, um, this like tragedy, this pandemic and the sickness that's going around and everybody's like, oh my God, this is so scary. The real conflict in that movie was between other people, people between themselves mm -hmm. And that was such a powerful thing for me in this show, too. It was like, Laurent, you said it, too. It's like, yeah, like the, the zombies is the way that the story is delivered, but it's not really even really about that. Um, all the all the huge um, moments for me in this um, came from a, a lot of those moments had nothing to do with the zombies. <laughs> like, yeah. it was it, because of that that they happened, sure. Yeah. Um, but the moments rarely involved the actual... Um, like Walking Dead aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's it's always been such an interesting idea to me that um, you know, <laughs> no matter what awful things going on, humans are actually really the worst thing yeah. for each other. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and yeah, I mean, it just you know when something makes me feel, when it makes me feel, I'm like, this is really good. This is very good. This. I'm connecting with this at an emotional level. Sure, I have a good time with like the 28 days later, 28 weeks later, but I never cared about like the actual relationship between, you know, the Robert Carlyle character and his family. It was like that was just like a kind of a delivery method of the story. It was like, oh, okay, these are his kids, whatever. And those are and those are definitely stories that are very uh, why I really, really love both of the 28 yeah. days movies. They're, they're, those have, I think, uh, more pointed political messaging, yeah, like, sure. like thematically and like there's – the the, the, the characters are a vehicle for the message and yeah. the ideas mm. versus this where I feel like the characters are really the forefront. And yes, obviously you're trying to communicate larger themes, but it, it's all based rooted in characterization. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's just the thing that has set it apart for me is that, you know, those moments though, and we're going to talk about like some of our favorite moments and every moment is dealing like not, not, None of the ones that I'm going to mention ever, like when they killed that one zombie, it was <laughs> when this extremely hard thing happened and someone had to deal with it. And it made me think of a time in my life when I had to deal with something very difficult. And it was just like, how difficult is that? How hard is that? And just the level of acting is just insane in this, just because you're like, is this a documentary? Like, am I even watching? Is this a show? Like, they filmed this? Like... <laughs> Right, but they, they definitely just they just have a camera crew following their own during the, 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 <laughs> sort of, the COVID I mean, pandemic. Yeah, great acting like that is just like this is crazy, man. Like you couldn't have convinced me that this didn't really happen to these folks. Yeah, I think it's interesting when I think about this story. Like even as you know, 
some of you guys have already mentioned, uh, there's not a lot of zombies in this uh, show. Like there's like, I I can think of maybe like three sequences. It uses that setting to get to these really deep and thoughtful characters and their relationships with each other. I think that really stands apart you know from the from the other zombie genres what this show is able to do because it's not focused on like making sure we have all these action sequences in every episode it, it really allows us time to get to know the characters a lot more than maybe your typical zombie show or movie would and that's why we have such deep connections and love for them is because we're not like we don't have we don't have to like get in our action sequence first like we can just spend the, the, the time with the characters really get to understand them and know them and then fall in love with them and then feel all the things when they have to make these like, like, you know, terrible decisions or great decisions or whatever. Like we really feel it then Um, when, when the action does actually show up, we, we feel so connected that that it's a lot more impactful. Uh, It doesn't just seem like it's the action isn't forced or, or, you know, some sort of quota that we're trying to make. So I think that for me really is what makes last of us stand out. Yeah, I mean, it's not like the video games where, you know, you literally murder dozens or hundreds of people on a mission and then you kill someone else. And it's like, well, that feels kind of weird. Like, I mean, I know it's sad that he killed this person, but didn't we just see him kill like a 100 other people? You know, (laughs) Uh, we're the heroes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was never the bad guy in your own story. (laughs) And and in defense of The Last of Us, that was actually a big (laughs) that was a criticism. I primarily lobby at the Uncharted series where there's like a scene where it's like, yo, I said no guns. I'm like, no guns. You've killed hundreds of people. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, anyway, Joe, what did you what do you think? uh, the last of us does successfully i mean do do you think it's carved out kind of a lane separate from other zombie fiction oh yeah absolutely and we've touched on it already multiple times but i think uh one thing i was thinking about when daniel was talking was I, i think even earlier as we were speaking uh it does such a good job of not making the violence like sexy or exciting it just is really raw and i think that's also what is obviously very good in the game. Like when you get to play as Ellie against various bad guys, it's really terrifying. So they did that. I think well in the, in the show too, just in emphasizing, like she is totally alone. She is not strong. She has her talents, but they're, they're not nearly anything close to what Joel could do. And she's in real danger. And I I think that episode is just great at, at making, making that violence really hit really hard and it's really terrifying and i think also the end sequence in the hospital which i'm sure we'll mention is just like they did not that part in the game takes so long because you have to kill so many people Mm -hmm. and it's like three or four minutes in the show and it's not like a sexy action sequence at all it's just like he's in kill mode he's gonna murder all these people and it's really really awful and they didn't shoot it in a way that was again like making him look cool or sexy or anything. Yeah. Yeah, It's just like he, he's in his, his, his only mission now is save Ellie and it's just brutal. So I, I think that that I'm really glad that they made those choices to just, just to not make things cool for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. And just emphasize that. Yeah, he's not the action hero, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, especially that last sequence, which we're going to talk about a lot more here in a second, but like the, he doesn't just kill them. There are, are people who literally surrender and he's like, you might be a threat someday. So I'm just going to stop you right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty awful. Like the, the audience you're supposed to understand, like this is violence has meaning 
in the, yeah. the world of the last of us, even though the world's falling apart, like the, the actions have real weight, both, both for the world that he's in, but also for him personally, you know, there's, there's things, his humanity is being sacrificed when he, he kills people like that. Yeah. I think those are um, all great things to, to outline here. Um, uh, we're going to dive into, I think specifically the ending here in a moment, before we do a couple of quick questions, just we'll go around the table for this. What were your two favorite episodes and why? And the reason I, I put two is I have a strong hunch all of us might be saying episode three, long, long time, the one featuring Nick Offerman and Merle, uh, Murray Bartlett. Um, but uh, maybe we just take a second to gush about how that's the greatest love story in TV in at least a decade, if not like ever. Mm-hmm. Thoughts, anybody? Oh, yeah, definitely, man. It's it's It was such a unexpected part i mean it was only two episodes before that is that episode three or four three yeah. three so the two episodes leading up you're like oh okay this is like i kind of see what this mm-hmm. and then that episode's kind of like well what <laughs> actually what is this show <laughs> and um you know i think you know when i mentioned earlier was that um i can't help but see myself whenever i'm you know in media like this and to have someone that you care about that much um it's just such a powerful thing and that's why, like, the acting is just incredible. And even just the way that they shoot this, uh, that the way that they shot that episode, you know, the progression of it where they're like, he's just like unsure. They're unsure of each other at first. And I'm just going to be here for a night. And then next thing you know, they're walking out arguing about, like, how they need to change things and, like, change things around the city. And obviously he's been there for a minute now, like. You don't realize that immediately. Yeah, it's it's just like oh, okay, passed. passage of time, like is is a uh, is kind of being addressed there, and that you know it wasn't just like a I'm staying here for the night and getting supplies and leaving. Um, that was just very powerful to me, just like the entire storytelling element of it too. Um, it also is the best joke in the show. I I thought the, the joke it? about the uh, this isn't this isn't an Arby's. He's like, wait. People don't come to Arby's for free food. You have to pay. It's a restaurant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's. It was very um, unique, one of the more um, unexpected parts of the show for me, especially it stands out so, um, it stands out so like it has such a contrast to the other episodes of the show to me. I think it's why you have, I mean, you're probably right. Everybody's like, that's probably one of my favorite episodes of the season. <laughs> it's it's funny because it's like, every, I, I there was a couple of different reactions I saw online and one of them was, oh, this show is just so heartbreaking. I was like. Guys, that was that was the happy episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any other thoughts? Uh, what did you think of uh, episode three? I think what I like about it is just that it was a really bold, creative uh, choice to make. Um, because as I understand, it's not part of the it's not part of the 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 game. I mean, at least explicitly the way that it is here. Because um, it ran the risk of alienating fans. It ran the risk of alienating the new audience. You know, um, and it, I think it's a risk that paid off. Because I think universally. I, that everyone seems to to have enjoyed it, um, and but what I think it is, it wasn't it wasn't um, it was necessary too, because I think what it does in this this long form, more nuanced approach to the story is it really emphasizes those themes. You know that that they're you know in in one case like yeah we're surviving or we're fighting for survival or you know we're fighting to live, but if we don't have anything to live for, what is the point of doing all of this? And this is a beautiful episode that just really encapsulates that theme very well where these two people have found a reason to live for each other, you know? And so, um, and that you can let that, the feeling that that gives you, you know, go through the rest of the the show, you know, with every character and every decision that's made and why they do the things that they do. 
So. Joe, anything to add? Uh, you are my purpose. One Ugh. of the best lines <laughs> ever. It's yeah. here. I'm just hearing it just now. Oh, so the acting. Mwah. I don't know so, how you didn't get to talk to people for so long after watching it. That's crazy. It was hard. Yeah, <laughs> it was hard. You were like, y'all just wait. <laughs> yeah. I would be like, it's, yeah, just warning, sort of get your tissues out. That's all I would say. I remember hearing the early buzz about it, and I was like, really? I mean, I was excited because it was Nick Offerman, and mm. the character's very prominent in the, for a section of the games. Also, the story in the games, this is what we will kind of spoil the games a little bit. The story in the games is actually an extremely sad story. Yeah, it's, it's awful. Um, yeah, where Frank resents Bill for keeping him trapped in the town. And you actually discover so, so, so basically, Bill is like, he's the guy who's kind of like gone off the deep end. He's talking to himself, hearing voices in his head, sort of thing. Really fascinating character on his own, still. And you discover, so so you hear about the partner, but you never see him until uh, when you're on a mission. If you adventure and explore, you can find the his body where he's hung himself. Oh, and uh, and then if you look in the desk near the body, you find a note where he basically talks about how he hated Bill for trapping him in the town and how, uh, you know, I'm I, I'm dead, but at least I'm not stuck with you in this town. It's like the Jeez. opposite. Yeah, it's a dark, sad ending. So I was thinking, I was like, oh, yep, the show is just going to be, be like super that. sad. And <laughs> so when it shows up and it's like, oh, my God, this is the most beautiful love story. You are my purpose. This, this whole The whole sequence with the strawberries where you, you see so clearly how, you know, Frank needs the survivalist to, you know, survive. But Bill, like, is l- literally – would just be a crazy cons- conspiracy theorist just living in paranoia for his whole life. Needs somebody to remind him to be a human being. Right. That the, uh, life is worth living, you know? it. Oh, yeah. There's things in life that are worth it, you know? Yeah. Painting the houses so it feels like a town. Making uh, friends. Yes. Because that gets so lost, good. you know, when you're living, you're dwelling on the dread of the situation and you're going through this. You're like, I want to live, I want to live. But you're like, but everything's misery around you. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, so it just, it, takes a moment of calm for you to realize that yeah it's it, what we live for is that connection with other human beings you know and so i think it was a beautiful way to like something to include into the story to add depth you know so mm-hmm. well so touching uh, daniel any thoughts anything you want to add about episode three long long time i mean yeah it was also like also gonna be on my favorites list it's it's probably one of the best episodes of tv ever for me it's just Beautiful. I mean, and I'm a person who is gets emotional at like everything, but I was just like weeping when I was watching that. <laughs> and, and 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 the op- exact opposite of me is my wife. She never cries at anything. Like while we're watching, and she was like weeping. I was like, okay, like like the, like this is what <laughs> gets her. Validation. Like you know. So we, we had that together, which was really nice too. So, um, but yeah, it definitely um, one of the few times where I feel like I've seen a single episode. I'm like. Please give this one actor this uh, an Emmy for this one episode. Like, please just do can it. They both can. They both get uh, Emmys. How do? They, yeah. I, don't, I know they're probably competing against each other. But can you That's give true. both Nick Offerman yeah. and Anne Marie Bartlett Emmys? They share. Yeah. I mean, and, and like, and, and this is where I think that the adaption piece becomes so powerful. Other than just a, um, uh, a, a scene of television, like taking, like you said, it, like we don't know very, we don't get to know a, a ton about Frank, but it's a very different story in the way that they take that and make it this like beautiful story about like love and and uh, it was just like you all said, it's incredible. So well, and it also in the in the bigger the grander scheme of things, I think that was where I really felt this theme of uh, love 
more as more of a consistent theme throughout the series. I feel like they really set it in place there because you see what people who are in love are willing to do for one another when they care that deeply, especially when you're in a world that is just falling apart, like how valuable that and rare that kind of connection is really sets the tone for what we see with Joel and Ellie in terms of, you know, at that point in the story, they aren't very close, but as they go and grow together throughout the story, you're like, Oh man, this is a world. And when you find that person, you do whatever it takes to make foreshadowing their relationship almost. Mm -hmm. Um, other than that, uh, yeah, quickly go around the table. Laron, what was another episode that you wanted to call out? Um, I really liked episode five. Um, I think this is the episode where the groundswell of, yeah. uh, the zombies. Hold up. That, I just think that entire episode is just so, as far as, far as tensions, just masterful. Then mm-hmm. it just kind of crescendos there at the end. And you're just like, holy shit. Like we've come all the way to this point where, you know, like the zombies, again, were such an afterthought from the tension that we were feeling with just the interaction with the two char- the, the characters in this um, and the opposing sides. And then the zombies add an extra level of, oh, shit, well, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> you know, like, so um, I was like, oh, yeah, they're here, too. So, yeah, deal with that while you deal with this, you know, like so. Uh, I just thought it was a great episode in terms of tension. I really like the addition of the Kathleen character. Mm-hmm. Do I understand she was also not in the game? Right. Yeah. Now that was that oh, was what's interesting. So that. The, yeah. So so that character was really interesting because again in the games it's set in Pittsburgh, not Kansas City, but it's very unclear why these dudes are because it's mostly men in the the games as well are trying so hard to kill you, mm-hmm. and they give it a they give it a face. Um, oh. uh, yeah. you get the face of the Kathleen yeah. character, but you also get the motivation, which is, oh, she killed. So this whole thing, we just took Federer out. We took out the oppressive regime, mm-hmm. but one of the losses was her brother that Henry sold out for drugs. Again, yeah. kind of foreshadowing the kind of conundrum we'll find Joel and Ellie in later and what that, what that costs people yeah. down the road. Um, it just, that whole scenario plays out I th- way more fulfilling uh, mm-hmm. than the games. And I thought the games were fine, but this added a lot more context. Cause she's a really complex villain. And I, and I think yes. yeah, Melanie Lazinski is just like, yeah. Amazing. It's it's crazy Everyone seeing her play show. a villain. She's such a <laughs> so sweetheart, good. and she's so funny and warm. Mm-hmm. So seeing her do this was actually really compelling to watch too. She's like, "What would my brother do? The one we all loved? He would tell me to have grace." But then I'm like, "But mm. why?" But yeah, just, she just yeah. <laughs> there's no vengeance there. <laughs> yeah. Also, how dare they make us love Henry and Sam? I'm I'm not gonna trust any show forever. <laughs> for now, I'm like, dang it, because at the end, I'm like, oh, I guess they're gonna be four people moving mm. along now. Oh, and then, yeah. A lot nope. of people thought that. I think. Yeah. <laughs> so Oh, that was broke my heart. That was a tough one to watch too. Knowing what was coming, I was like, "Oh no!" And that—that's the scene at the end of yes, episode episode five, endurance survive. That's another one where I just couldn't even talk when it was over. And I experienced it through the games, but it's just like, yeah, how tragic that whole scenario was, just from the framework. But then when you see that Henry does, and he just reacts, and like how it impacts Ellie and Joel, you're just like, "Oh my gosh." This is all just so sad. Yeah, I know. I'm like, maybe, maybe yeah. Ellie's blood will save him. Mm-hmm. Maybe it will. Yeah. Well, five was also going to be my other episode that, that I picked. And I think, you know, like what you guys are talking about with, with Henry and Sam, it's like, you know, we just talked about this beautiful love story. And then this is like the tragic, like the tragic, like love between these like siblings, right? like it's a different type of love, but like how deeply they, you know, love and, and care for each other. And then there's this terrible tragedy that happens and how, you know, Henry can't deal with that. But I think it's also a really important moment for Ellie too, because you get to see like 
in this world where she has no reason to have like any sort of positivity or love or care. She like desperately wants to be like a force of positivity the way that like she takes her blood and tries to like put it on him. And like, uh, like, uh, so yeah, for me, like that sequence is just like another, like just incredible moment highlight of the, uh, of the show for me. So Joe, what was another one of your favorite episodes? Uh, it's really hard. I also really like episode four, for the moments that we get where Joel is finally starting to soften toward Ellie. Like, I think that's the episode where they have the pun book. I think that's where he like first laughs at the very end of that episode. (laughs) Him like watching over her as they're camping. I just love all of those little character moments that they, they so clearly show that he's like, God dang it. I'm a dad again. And he's like coming (laughs) to terms with it. I also just really like the finale finale, even though it's really hard to watch. And I cried that whole episode as well. So uh, it's, it's hard it's bittersweet because you know if you've played the game what is coming and but the draft it's all just so beautiful the draft yeah man. um yeah so i think those are other two standouts for me talk about a moment they didn't change at all from the games the draft i was kind of curious about what they were going to do they even used the same music yeah. like like exa- wow. it's exactly as it That's is in awesome. the game You're like yeah. wow we just went through a whole bunch of really terrible stuff and then you see the draft pop its head in Oh, but what I love about the game, just a sidebar a little bit, is that you can stay in that moment. And I do whenever I play through again. Like you can stay watching those giraffes for as long as you want to, basically, Mm -hmm. with the sun coming down. It's a very beautiful scene in the game. And I just like stand there for for a very long time because Mm -hmm. I know that coming up next is a massacre. Very sad, yes. (laughs) Enjoy this moment of calm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can. Harold, uh, any other episodes you want to give a shout out to? I really like this episode seven, Left Behind. Um, It's when. Um, you know, early you hear Ellie tell Joel, this isn't the first time I've killed somebody. And then that's kind of intriguing to me because, you know, someone that didn't play the game. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting because, you know, there's like that, that where is that going to come up later? Or are we going to hear more about that? Right. And then just that entire, um, I think it's Storm Reed plays the Riley. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Euphoria. And so she plays Rue's mm-hmm. little sister in yeah. Euphoria. So it's just, I mean, powerhouse of, of performances in the show, even the small moments. But just that entire, I don't know, Bella Ramsey, um, there's moments in that where you, you know, I keep hearkening back to this thing of seeing myself and like, you can't help but think to the, the first time you were like romantically involved with somebody and how like it, it's like exciting and scary to be vulnerable to somebody and how how it's, how is it going to go? And then to see how it ends up and it ends up so tragically you're like god like this show is just gonna break my heart every episode like if you're feeling warm something's up <laughs> i know something's like and something's about to elbow drop my heart real quick <laughs> for every mortal combat moment <laughs> there's always gotta be a catch <laughs> but i love that episode just the the whole mall thing and because that's like a big kid thing too you're like oh man this would be so cool if i could just go run around the mall on my own like and play all the games and go to all the places and I don't know just like a very human experience trying to give her a very sense of like normal in this abnormal world mm-hmm. yeah. I know they described it on the last of us podcast as the it's like the episode where it, we wanted to create the, the version of a, a story where you cut class to go to the arcade yeah you know and I thought very much job at that. Also, the fun fact that arcade was all done like when they walk in, you see the lights turn, and that was all CG. And apparently, it like oh, what I understand well. was like the most one of the more complicated visual effects in the whole series, which was dang, I couldn't. I didn't even know that red. was CG. It mm-hmm. read. 
That's so cool. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to episode six, Ken. That's where we get to see uh, Joel reunite with Tommy. And uh, that was super powerful because what's interesting is the show actually humanizes Joel a little more because in that first episode, it's like he, he still wants to get back to Tommy. Whereas in the games, like he only goes to Tommy because he has no choice. He's like, I got to. Yeah, I know he knew some fireflies one time. I I want to get rid of this girl. I'm oh. gonna go find Tommy. I know generally so he where he's at. He wasn't like, oh my god, this the whole thing is to find him. Right. He wasn't like, oh, I'm trying to find out why he's not responding to my radio messages. That was new. Right. Wow. So so that actually gives him a little more of humanity right from the jump uh, versus sure. the games where it's like they they had a and the the games there was a very bad fall. I guess it's kind of implied in the show too. They had a very bad falling out, and they had no interest in talking again. Um, that said, it's very similar feeling when they reunite. Like, oh my gosh, we get to see, I finally get to see Tommy. Um, and only for as as soon as that like warm fluffiness wears off, you're like, oh wait, there's a reason we didn't like stay together. Mm-hmm. And it also reveals a lot about Joel's character and his intentions. Like Joel does not seem to regret the kind of person he's had to be. Versus Tommy, who's like, listen, like, I'm I'm out. Like, I we have a nice thing going here. This is it. Like, yeah. what? Like, I'm, we're building a, a home, and he's getting married, you know? Like, and it sounds like they might even want to have kids. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so the other thing I like about it is it, it's a nice contrast to Joel and Ellie make a very active choice to pursue their journey after arriving at what could be considered a safe haven where they could just stay. Mm-hmm. Right? They have a choice. They could call off their mission. But Ellie in particular is so dedicated to the mission um, that they decide to go. It's also where Ellie and Joel have their big kind of like falling out right. amongst themselves. There's an entire gameplay sequence in the game. It's not the show where Ellie runs away and you have to go chase her down and you have there's oh, a wow. bunch of gameplay in between there. But uh, it, uh, the scene where they, they kind of confront each other and she says, you know, I'm not your daughter, that sort of thing. It's just like, oh, <laughs> so they didn't they, they didn't change a beat. That specific mm-hmm. scene is almost identical. I've been to the seeing game. side by sides on TikTok of like the game versus the mm-hmm. and I'm like, man, this stayed pretty true to all of these <laughs> moments. Yeah, but I, I really I love I just love it adds it reinforces the relationship between Ellie and Joel that both of them, like they're not just, this is not just a mission. Like they're in it together. They have personal skin in the game with each other. Um, But also that their mission isn't a choice that they both decide to make. And he didn't, man, he could just, I feel like you could really tell, like he did not want to care about this girl. He did not want to get involved. And it just, he's a dad. And then just, you know, he gets those feelings again. And it's so complicated and they don't shy away from like telling you like, he's not a good dude. He did some pretty bad stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just so complex. I'm like, God, this but he's, is so he's good. still capable of empathy. Yes. And that's the, the human element here that it kind of, so good. Brains in, so. Mm-hmm. Well, let's jump ahead a little bit. I want to talk about. Talk, I want to make sure we leave enough quality time to talk about the ending because obviously it's a. It's a as Joe put it a moment ago, massacre. Uh, <laughs> it is uh, very sad. So I'm going to start with Laron and Harold because you two did not know what was coming. Laron, what did you make of the ending of this first season? Uh, I'm so conflicted. Um, I feel like the logical part of my brain um, was very frustrated because the whole mission was to do this thing. But then the emotional part of my brain was devastated because I, I too, did not want to see um, Ellie perish. So I understood the moral dilemma. Um, Even looking at the outcome, I I understood if I was Joel, could I do it? You know what I mean? Like to lose it. And and also, I think what you're bringing to it, too, is that, you know, he lost his daughter. You know what I mean? So this is re-traumatizing, you know, in this way. It's like I have an opportunity now to change something 
to do something different to save this person's life, even if it is at the expense of humanity, um, all of humanity. And it's also it's it's also they, I thought they did a really good job. There's a, a a new scene, but it's a really powerful moment when she's like, "I'm glad time enabled you to get past your your daughter's death," and he's like, "It wasn't time mm. that did it." Like, just mm. this is his Ugh. like this LA like he's been in this, this rut is, for twenty years. This has been my surrogate, yeah. like yeah. you know, daughter for this length of time, and so I was conflicted because obviously it presents a very unique conflict for the story moving yeah. forward. Um, but I understood on a human level why he couldn't. Enough, so. mm-hmm. True. Harold, what'd you think? Well, yeah, I mean, almost carbon copy of we're on like and also from what I understand, like they're not I mean, it's not a positive sure thing that it would actually right. be able to make a cure or save. Like they think maybe that there was something up. Mm-hmm. Um so that is definitely it's it's funny we have this I mean, it's just like human nature. You have like the subjectivity where you're like, Well, of course it's the right thing to do. And then when you're in that moment and when it's you, you're like like a it's like, well, what happened? I thought it was the right thing to do. Like, right. so it's just very funny to just, you know, you have that in your mind when it's someone else. Here's what I always, I couldn't be me. I would know exactly what to do, yeah, you know, like, in that, that moment. It's that scene in every uh, zombie movie where the infected gets, you know, um, like the, you're there, you kill the person that's infected, no questions asked. And then as soon as it's your loved one that's infected they try to harbor them and save them even though they know it goes against logic it goes against like there's nothing you can do with the situation makai pfeiffer's wife and dawn of the dead exactly (laughs) what comes to mind (laughs) so so i mean that was like but just the whole situation and it's just always keeps going back to that humanization thing of you know putting yourself in that place of like god like this is could could have saved everybody maybe in the world that was you know all these people that were infected, but maybe it couldn't. And it was, he had such a emotional tie, like this attempt at redemption from, you know, losing his daughter in his mind, I think. So it was just such a complicated situation. I think that's what made it so good. Added wrinkle too. Ellie. Do you think Ellie, we don't, we don't really get clear insight into what Ellie, Ellie given the choice of what she would have done. Right. But it seems implied yeah, both in the game and the show that she probably like this was her purpose mm-hmm. she or mission. Prob- or yeah. mission. She would have probably wanted to finish the mission. Yeah. What, I mean, what do you guys do you think that because because when you do it, when you th- frame it that way, not only yeah, is Joel doing, killing a ton of people, he's actively taking away um, her her ability to make a decision. The agency. He's, the agency. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he's He's taking that away from her and then he lies to her about it. I think because we don't know, it's just too difficult to. Right. I mean, it's just so difficult to know. I mean, maybe in the game, does it? I mean, maybe in the game, she's like, "Why did you do that? I would have wanted to die." I don't. I don't. I haven't played the game, so I'm not sure if that happens. Yeah. No, that is not addressed in the first game. Okay. So. It's just difficult, man. Like I don't know. It's what do you do? Yeah. And you think you're making, and I think that goes along with him being a parent too. It's like. I think I know what's best, but I don't know. Like mm-hmm. such a nuanced thing. Well, I have a different question for Joe, you and Daniel. I want to hear about uh, the adaptation choices here. Did this work? Did this land the same way for you? Is it different? Cause it is a different experience when you hear the guy actually pulling the trigger yeah. on all these dudes. Like, like how did this experience of watching it versus playing it differ for you? I mean, 
as as such a huge fan, I'm sitting here thinking like, I know this is not correct, but I I just am over here being like Joel did nothing wrong, like he, he's perfect. <laughs> um, and also thinking like actually playing the game, it's not really that hard of a decision. Like it's the only decision presented to you. But if I feel like for me, it was like, oh, of course. We're going to go kill everyone now. Like, for me, it's like, of course I want to save Ellie. Like, we've been playing together as these characters for hours now, and that now is what I have to go do. So in in the game, it feels, like, logical, I would say. Do you think that's because in the game, you assume the role of Joel? Yeah. You are Joel. Yeah. And so you, 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 you his, psycho- you his mindset yeah. is yours now yeah. because you've been playing as him that whole yeah, time. Yeah, I think absolutely. And, and I think a lot of people will go into that hospital room and be like, I've seen people go in with like the flamethrower and they're like, and they just Holy like burn, they like burn all the doctors. Um, <laughs> they're like very passionate about saving Ellie. So uh, yeah, I, I mean, in terms of adaptation, I think that, like I said earlier, it's, it's very well done. It's, you kind of, for me, it was very refreshing to not go in with that perspective of like, we're the protagonist, we're doing this, like we we rule, kill everyone. Like it was very much like, oh, this is actually really awful and terrible. Um, and in terms of the decision itself, uh, I mean, Troy Baker has talked about how f- the way he sees it is Joel did save the world, and that's because. Ellie is his world now. So he like can totally justify Dang. that decision as yeah, right. as an actor, as <laughs> wow. a character. Screw so. everyone else. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, yeah, Joel uh. Joel's Joel's perfect. He never makes the wrong decision. <laughs> Definitely did not Hello. do anything bad. Nope. Uh, with that in mind, Daniel, what was your take on sort of the adaptation choices here? And and I don't know, do you agree? Is Joel, is Joel perfect? Did he make all the right choices? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's complicated. And I think that it's so, like, there's so many things I want to say about this that I think it does such an incredible job of adapting it. I think it almost hits me harder in some ways. The emotional impact of their relationship hits me harder when I'm watching the show than it did in the game. But like, there's also stuff about the game where it's like, you kind of like what Joe was saying was like, you are the one like pulling the trigger when you're playing the game. And there's like an element like, like I felt like, I don't like these people are just trying to like find a cure. Like, why am I killing yeah. them? Like, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. like, like, but, 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 but Ellie, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and I think it's important. You guys kind of mentioned this, both Joel and Marlene did not consult Ellie. Like, you know, yeah. right. neither of them did like now. Yeah. Like, like Caleb said, like it's implied that like Ellie would probably make the, a certain decision, but like, we don't know. We didn't ask her. Like, and so I think neither of these characters are like taking what Ellie actually wants into consideration. It's her life. You know, um, they're both just sort of like, you know, using her for their own, like, you know, in their own way, like um, th- whether they love her or, you know, or what, because like Marlene also has that like relationship with um ellie's mother and like promised to do all these things but then she is is just that was a nice added touch by the way not in the games at all was that flashback sequence with uh ellie's mom giving birth and we we actually hear about the connection with marlene in the Mm -hmm. games you actually see she was there at the birth oh in the the, the the show nice yeah so that that wrinkle makes it like even more complicated and so like i think what 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 really matters here is that 
you understand why Joel does what Joel does. And you also understand why it could be seen as problematic. Like you get both like, and I think that is what's incredible about this moment is that like, I fully understand both of them, both sides. Mm -hmm. And there's not like, I can't say with 100% certainty, like this is what should have happened or should have been done. It's like, I get all of it. Like, and that's what really sells me uh, on this moment um, or this ending. Um, And I, I love the way that it's like, framed as painful as it is like he's literally holding ellie in the exact same way that he's holding sarah like with the gun like this time like he doesn't fail this time like from his perspective like he's like he talks to tommy about how much he's failed and trying to like show love and take care of these people and like he's done failing like uh, it kind of goes back to what you guys were talking about earlier like he's in this robot like i'm not gonna fail again like and uh like i just like there's so many complex feelings I have about the ending. Like, but I think that's what makes it great. Is that like, I have no idea what the right thing to do was, but I understand why everybody acts the way they do. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that's what makes it so good. And that's definitely, I would say that's the most important thing is you, you understand why everyone does what they do. I think that's what makes it so powerful. And I think it just really elevates the complexity of the human experience and what makes morality so complex. It's really easy to make, black and white moral calls until, and this is something Daniel, you and I had talked about at length on, especially on game of Thrones, like the, the most powerful moments of that show similarly place you in scenarios where you're like, I, I see why everyone's doing what they're doing. And, and from a certain point of view, they are morally right. So which one's right? What's the right and wrong? Is there a way we could avoid this somehow? Maybe, but it doesn't matter because these are the decisions these people will make based on who they are. And I think this show and the game does a beautiful job outlining that. I'm going to differ from at least Joe a little bit and Daniel to a certain extent. I, whenever I played the game the first time I actively tried to figure out how to not kill the doctor because the way it's when you, when you encounter it the first time, that's where for me, I I hit a point, which is bizarre. I know it's a game where I literally just said it. I've killed hundreds of people Mm -hmm. plus zombies on the way there. But you're meeting this person who is basically defenseless. Yeah, he's got a scapel, but you've got whatever gun you want. You've got a knife yeah. in the gunfight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, there's yeah. there's no way. And, like, he's a guy who clearly is not seeking ill will. He just is doing what he's convinced is the right thing to do. He's probably only one of a handful of doctors left on the planet who's qualified to even be doing this kind of a surgery. So not only is it a person who's important in the context of Ellie, it's like, no, this guy probably is super, like, needed and the large and his planet, community, right? yeah. And I'm like, it's where I realize. I think we've talked a lot about how when you're playing the game, you're playing as Joel, but a lot of times, Daniel, especially as you said this, you're saying, "I did this thing. I did this cool thing." You're sharing your friends until that moment. That was where I was like, "Oh, but I don't want to. I <laughs> don't want to shoot the doctor." <laughs> right. Yeah. So I actually tried to figure. Like the very first time, I was like, "Is there like a way to not pop this guy?" I'm dead serious. <laughs> Can I and, not do that? And, and that's the, that's the thing because this is a narrative story. That's where I find them like, "Oh, Joel's the bad guy." Yeah. Like I understand why you're doing what you're doing. But you don't have a you don't have a choice. You as the player don't have the agency in that moment. You have to do what Joel mm. would do because you are playing the character of Joel, and that's where suddenly I and Joel are not the same person, and I feel very uncomfortable because oh wait, was Joel bad the whole time? Oh my god, I was playing as Joel the whole time. Mm-hmm. I, it's so it really makes me uh, deeply it's uncomfortable, and it's what one of the things I think makes the video game element so powerful because it's interactive, and you've been participating, and you've been a part of all the things he's been doing the whole time. Now. Do I blame Joel? No. And I don't even think like, yes, the man protecting basically his surrogate daughter 
is the right thing to do, of course, but also just the ethical question is so muddled and we could spend hours Mm -hmm. talking about it. And I don't think there's a right answer. Here's what I will say, though. I think the thing is, it's really easy to debate about the philosophical and ethical questions. And I think it's important that you do, because I think it's something that we all as humans need to realize that not everything has a right or wrong answer. And sometimes there are, there are reasons wars happen. There are reasons bad things happen. And it's because our, our sense of morality is subjective and, and, and it's just something to keep in mind. It's part of the human experience. Here's the other thing I want to lay, uh, I want to put out there. And this is something I want to hit on. And I hit on in this little write up I did. You know, whether it's right or wrong, this is a universe that clearly outlines there are consequences Mm -hmm. of some sort, both the immediate consequences, which we even see a little bit of when he has to lie to Ellie and she clearly doesn't buy it. So you're like, okay, so he he killed all these people to save her only so that he could lie to her in which that relationship will never be what it was before. Mm -hmm. So that's the immediate. And on top of that. And I'm not, I, I promise we're not talking about future events or spoilers, but there's a world thing. You just killed a lot of people. Joel is a violent man who has killed a lot of people. And as we've seen throughout this, this show and in the game, that does not go unanswered. You know, whether it's today, tomorrow, on himself, like there are consequences that will haunt him. And did he do the right thing? I probably would have done the same thing. Yeah. But at the same time, the world he lives in will never be the same. After doing that, his relationship with Ellen never be the same. He is irreparably damaged by that decision and doubly so because he lied about it. That's the Mm -hmm. other thing that I just think it makes it such so much more complicated because to me that signals that even though he cares about Ellie, he ultimately made what I would consider a selfish decision. He did this for him. Mm -hmm. He did it for Ellie, too, as a secondary, but it was from he needs her more than she needs him. It's devastating. Yeah. yeah, that's just I just <laughs> that's like the word I keep like when I talk to my like students in my class, and I'll just say it's devastating <laughs> and it just it just keeps being devastating. Uh, yes. <laughs> it never gets easier either. No matter yeah. How many times you play it or, or watch it? The lie even in some ways is more like not like not worse, but like it's like, man, like the fact that he has like that he decides to lie to her. It's like the thing that he wants to save, he can't have because of the way that he did it. Yeah. So like he then has to lie to her. Or like you say, Caleb, like he can't have like the relationship that we love between the two of them can't ever happen now because he ch- chooses to lie to her. She doesn't know the truth, but she can clearly tell that he's right. not she's not being straight with her. As a as a fan of the, um, you know, of the games or whatever, like when she looks at him and says, okay like you feel the weight of like okay like she doesn't buy this and our relationships changed like and it's like that when i felt when i saw that moment i know it's like the literal last second of the show i was like oh my god they did it like it was like that's how it felt for me it was like they nailed like how devastating it is like so the lie for me is like even like as as like he he saved he tried in the attempt to save her he ends up losing her is like is how it feels like but if uh, he doesn't save her she dies exactly it's uh, <laughs> uh, so then, like, but then maybe humanity could have been saved. it's it, see it's, it's there's uh, no right answer so here. crazy um, yeah. well guys so uh, there's so much to talk about here uh, we are also running along so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna jump ahead just really quickly I want to talk a, a little bit about what we hope to see next uh, specifically I want to start Harold uh, with you and Laron want to hear kind of what you're hoping to see next. We're not going to spoil season two. I have a different question for us who've played the game. So Harold, I'll start with you. What is it that you hope to see uh, in the next season? 
I mean, I think it, it has set us up, like Daniel said, you know, wh- what is the repercussions of that decision and the impact that that has on their relationship? How is that going to play out after that? And to what you had said too, Caleb, I mean, I've been thinking about that as well. It's like, this guy's leaving a trail of dead people behind them and it's just going to come around at some point. I mean, it has to. So whether that's people, you know, coming after him or teaming up or ambushing him, something. I mean, it's just that conflict is going to come back around in some way. And I'm interested to see how like that is, um, how that's handled. I will say just be careful, like going on, like, like I've even just like scrolling through my YouTube page, have seen like titles of YouTubes that like spoil part two of the, of the, uh, so, so to stay away from just, it, just so. be careful. Or like I don't, cause I don't want game. you. You know, or just yeah, play the game. Yeah, just play it. I do. I need to do that. Go buy a PlayStation Five. They're super easy to get, not expensive. And then, and then the you game. buy the PlayStation Five. I'll buy the games, the two games, and then I'll come over and we'll uh, and then co-op tag team. It's it. worth it, and it's a long game. It's like thirty hours or something. Yeah, the oh, second geez. the second game is super long. Wow, uh, so long that in fact they have announced that the part two will not be one season like the first game. Oh, it's gonna be two parts. They didn't say how long. They just oh. said see, the, uh, part two will not be. One, One season. season. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, LeBron, what about you? What would you like to see in the next season? You know, it's more so I'm just curious to discover how this conflict is going to manifest moving forward. Um, how is he going to harbor this secret? How long, if he has harbored it, you know, um, and how his relationship with Ellie is going to change um, and how he's going to, and what are the consequences or the repercussions for the choice that he made? You know, like how is that going to manifest both in, the the humanity being lost or and what what is his uh i guess you say the karma what's going to come back around here um because he did that i also wonder when the, when is it going to pick up like is it going to be yeah years later like or start right back where we started or where we left off or or, or are we going to jump in the future a little bit sure. very curious. it's very interesting mm-hmm. a lot of different ways they can go so it'll be interesting that, to see that was definitely the thing when they announced part two uh, I remember like Joe and Daniel, I don't know about you guys, but it was like one of those where you're like somewhere like you're like, what is, uh, what, 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 when are they going to, how do you follow up the end of that game? Because <laughs> yeah. it's like such a haunting, chilling ending. You're like, what do they do next? Mm-hmm. But, um, and the three of you have played the game, so you know what's happening. So, you know, me and him are about to probably be, are I'll probably devastated. heartbroken. Yeah. But, uh, well, here's what I will say. It is not a spoiler for the plot, but I will just say, as dark as you thought the first season was. Oh no! It, oh man! Nothing, man. <laughs> I don't know if I can yeah. take that. That second think, game is bleak. Yeah. I mean, I'll watch it then. Yeah, I think. Um, I yeah, or watch the yeah, watch the game. Like I think. Oh, the cinematic. Be, yeah, yeah, you can watch this. Yeah, I think when you were talking about like being forced in the game to make decisions, I think that Neil Druckmann saw that and he was like, oh. Here's an opportunity to make that even like 10 times worse and yep. force Ugh. you to play in situations that you never wanted to be in. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It is. Yeah, exactly. He took that thing cinematic. and amped it up. Yeah. It's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, so Daniel, I'll start with you for this then. As a person who has played the game, what would you say is maybe your biggest, um, could be concern or curiosity uh, about uh, the, the next season and where they're going with it? I'm really excited. I think that, um, Neil and Craig have shown that like they under like that they're going to deliver a really, really good story uh, with really, really rich characters. There is a lot of controversy around the second game. And so I, I wonder like, I, I don't quite like, I know that Neil and Craig are going to tell the story that they want to tell regardless of what the fan reaction will be. And I'm happy for that. Um, 
I, I, I guess what my biggest like curiosity is like some, like there's a particular characters. I'm like, who are they going to cast for that character? Cause like, I, I want to see who they cast for that character and um, how that's going to play, you know, with what we know from Ellie and, and Joel. So that's something I'm like excited for to see what they do next. Cause they've like, uh, I think Harold said earlier, like they've sold me on this show. Uh, I was already sold from the game. And so I, I'm in for the long haul. So I'm just excited to see those extra pieces that like we got from, from this season, like the, like the, the Bill and Frank story, like the, the extra like stuff that they add in there, the more developed characters, what characters are we going to get more of in, uh, you know, in the second and third seasons that we, that are just like, kind of like not as important characters in the game that we now get more time with. Like what would those look like? That's what I'm most excited for. All right. So casting choices, that's a big one. Uh, Joe, what are you most interested, curious, concerned about for next season? Uh, I think having heard that they're not doing it all in one, some of my concerns are already taken care of because that there's so much in the second game. And to give it the treatment that it deserves, it, it can't be like nine episodes or whatever. It, it will need to be more so. I I think I just agree with what Daniel said. It's I, I trust them. I know that it will be good. I trust that it will be faithful to the game. Yeah, I, I, we're going to cry a lot. <laughs> cry Great. a lot yeah. more. <laughs> so it'll be good. Yeah, I a couple things. I don't know. Again, more like things I'm just curious about. One is even – yes, I'm very thankful they're not doing it in one season – um, I'm super thankful they're not doing that. However, while being as vague as possible with that in mind, how they're going to structure a multiple season arc about mm-hmm. the last of us part two, I'm very curious about, um, cause there's a lot of plot and a lot of different ways they could break it up. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think that'll make a huge difference. And again, the, we all complimented the pacing in season one, but, uh, yeah, season two is a little more complex. Um, number two, you know, uh, I won't, I, I got to stay as vague as possible, but there is a moment that I will ne- like just as much as the end of the first season and the first game as, you know, Ellie and Joel overlooking Jackson where he lies to her. There is another scene at the very end of the second game that is just in a totally different way, just as deeply emotional and upsetting and like morally kerfuffling as that. That even just thinking about it, I start to get like missy eye. Like it's just, <laughs> it's a really beautiful but sad and upsetting all of the things at one time. And now we know it's probably going to be at least two seasons before we get there. How are they going to get us there? We'll have to find out. I can't wait. All that said, we've talked about The Last of Us a lot today. I know there's a lot of other things we could say about it. We want to say about it. Uh, final word or final thoughts. Is there anything else you'd like to add about The Last of Us season one? Anyone? It was great. It's fantastic as everything everybody said it was going to be. You made a you made a critic soft. <laughs> Is it one of those rare times where people hyped it up and it actually it like actually delivered? delivered? Yes, <laughs> yes. I think I texted Caleb after see, uh, after episode five and said something like, "I've cried in every episode." <laughs> like, yeah. uh, and uh, I like um, Joe was saying, "I'm excited to cry in every episode again next season." <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm ready to be hurt again. Yeah, I'm ready to be hurt again. Uh, I had like so the the thing I like about shows too is when they put little bits in and then you find them and you're like oh my god that they were just talking about that mm-hmm. so episode one they talk about something in Jakarta 
in the beginning of episode two, they're in Jakarta. Mm-hmm. And that episode, the beginning of the episode two, it, it hit me emotionally too. And it's, that just is, it just shows like how good the writing is for it to be these completely unrelated characters, but for you to be so invested in like the direction of what they're talking about, um, which they end up talking to the lady that's the, um, like the head of mushroom studies, I guess. <laughs> I can't remember like what it was. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. Much like fungal but, diseases. Uh, yeah. When she's like, you got to bomb this whole place, man. And I've got, I got to get home. And it's like, mm. oh my God, this is crazy. Mm. That was a great, great cold open. I have yeah. to say. It's nuts, man. Mm. All right, ladies and gentlemen, those are our overall thoughts on the last of us season one. Uh, how can you let us know what you think? Well, there's a lot of different social media channels. Um, I'm not going to list all of them, but what I will say is you can always email us at the cinematropolis at gmail.com, or you can hit up the cast beyond the wall on Twitter um, or Facebook. You can also find the cinematropolis.com on Facebook or Twitter at the cinematrop. Um, to all our panelists, thank you so much for uh, taking time out of it. We're recording this on a Sunday, so thank you for your time on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, we'll just go around the table. Um, let listeners know where they can follow your work. Laron? You can follow me on Facebook under my name, Laron Chapman, or if you'd like to read my exhaustive film reviews, you can follow me on Letterbox at black underscore Senna underscore man. Awesome. Joe? Oh, I need to follow you. Mm-hmm. Um I'm also on Letterbox, but I don't do deep dives. I just goof around. I'm Jojo. <laughs> I, en- I enjoy those too. <laughs> I'm Jojo Binks one on Letterbox, and then on Twitter, I'm Joe underscore lightly. All right, Harold Story. Okay, but I'm, I will be getting on Letterbox so I can follow y'all. Do it. It's so great. You won't uh, regret it. <laughs> um, but one yeah, of the, us. One of us. <laughs> Not the last of us, but one of us. Nice. Um, but yeah, uh, I would say just follow me on Instagram. I, I kind of put everything through there. Um, just at Harold Story, S T O R E Y. Um, I do if I do interviews, I'll put them through there. I've been trying to do quite a bit more of writing, um, just depending on what the subject is, uh, interviews and such like that. And then, of course, um, doing a little bit of art and selling um, some of my things there, um, just for different uh, fundraisers and such. Um, I, I'm like a serial hobbyist, so. <laughs> I kind of have a different something going on there all the time, something different. So follow me there. Uh, yeah, the Tunes Tunes website. You have a Tunes Tunes. Website. Oh yeah, TunesTunes.co. T u n e s t o o n s. dot co. That's where uh, that's the website that has a, um, you know, just a about the show. Uh, some of the episodes of uh, featured articles I've written, things like that. So you can find everything there as well. Awesome, Daniel Stoll. I know you're not much for social media, but but can people contact you somehow? Yeah, I'm I'm super late to the letterbox game, but I actually did just recently start a letterbox uh, where I'm uh, reviewing all like very brief reviews of all the movies I see this year, uh, wh- whether they came out this year or I'm watching them for the first time. Like, for, so uh, if you want to see what I think about movies, you can follow me at D Stoll S D S T U L L. That's it uh, at Letterbox. All right, fantastic! Everyone follow Daniel Stoll and and, and like his reviews, so he writes more of them. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd, all at C Masters Talk. That's Letter C Masters Talk. Uh, again, Twitter for random thoughts on film and TV, a less and less these days. Letterboxd for movie reviews and Instagram mostly. Honestly, at Instagram, I guess I post stories there, but it's mostly just like photo, personal photos, not related to movies. But hey, check, out, check me out there. Um, hey, Laron, 
Joe, Harold, Daniel, thank you all so much for joining us on the special edition of the Cast Beyond the Wall and the Cinematic Schematic for the crossover episode. And for listeners who, who are already subscribed to both podcasts, well, thanks for downloading the show twice. Uh, we'll catch you again next time. For the Cinematic Schematic listeners, we'll be back with a review of John Wick Chapter 4. Woohoo! Till next time. Woo-hoo.